That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. I got this neighbor named Tom. Huge Huskies fan. I knew Tom was a Huskies fan. First time I ever met him. He's wearing Huskies gear. Most days I see him wearing purple. Some kind of Husky hat, Husky pullover. Tom's a former college baseball player who attended the University of Washington. He's flying a Husky flag in his front yard today. Right off the side of his house. In fact, if I go out my front door, I can see Tom's house. He lives just, uh, you know, a third of a block away. I can see his front door. I can see his house. I can see that damn Husky flag. I don't mind it. He loves his team. We've got Beaver fans and Duck fans living in the neighborhood. Portland State fan down the street as well. Who always says, hey, how come you don't give any love to Portland State? I'm like, tune in during college football season. We have Bruce Barnum on the show once a week. We give love to the Vikings. How about the University of Portland? I have found that University of Portland fans, while they sport their gear, are less inclined to put a flag on their house. What is that about? I don't know. Got to address that. The student store at UP, do they have, do they sell like the flags that come out of the front of your house? Jealous of you that hang those flags. I don't get to do that. I'm a journalist. I'm impartial, damn it. I am uh, writing a column at johnconzano.com, and I wrote about my neighbor. Tom today, if I were an assassin, and I'm not an assassin, okay, I want to preface it by saying that, but if I were an assassin and I got a contract on my neighbor Tom, it'd be the easiest job ever. Like, there's no deviation to his pattern, right? If if uh, Sometimes I take a different route when I'm driving home, coming home, I leave at odd hours, I arrive at odd hours, I'll drive a different car. Uh, I'll wear different clothes. You know, I'm trying to make sure that if anybody's got a contract on me, that I make it difficult for him. My neighbor Tom, not that kind of guy. He's a creature of habit. His lawn is meticulous. He washes his car in his driveway on Saturday mornings, hangs that purple UW flag from his front porch. Every morning, every single morning, Tom goes to the coffee house that's uh, just down the street. If it's not open, he goes to Starbucks. I noticed that on Monday because there was a holiday for January 1, and the coffee house, Willamette Coffee House, was not open. And so Tom ended up at Starbucks. I bumped into him there, and uh, he meets at 5.30 in the morning. There's like a dozen guys his age, he's 80, who meet at the coffee house. And I think it's good and it's worth noting. I've said this before, and Anna has uh, been in my ear saying it. She's, you know, women live longer. They live longer because they're more social. They develop friendships. They develop a sense of community. 
Guys, we need to do a better job of that. I know there are men's groups out there that go and meet in you know church lobbies on Sunday mornings or Thursday mornings or whatever. But Tom told me this week that his mother lived to be 105 years old. Tom's 80. And I said, that makes sense to me. Because Tom is a social butterfly himself, and I bet he got it from his mom. He meets at 5.30 every single day with the same group of guys. And they're not, this isn't like some group that was put together. It's like just happened to be like a group of four or five, and then they met another guy, and they said, hey, you can come sit with us. And then some other guy said, well, I'll show up tomorrow. That was a lot of fun. And they created this kind of social group that talks sports and life and whatever 80-year-old guys talk about in a coffee shop. You've seen them. Like, you've walked into a coffee shop early in the morning. Maybe you're in a hurry. You're going somewhere, and you've looked over, and you said, oh, it's that group of guys. It's the retirees who are having the times of their lives drinking coffee and catching up and telling stories. Well, Tom's does that at 5.30 in the morning. Every single day, same coffee house unless it's closed. If it's closed, he goes to Starbucks. So, again, if I'm an assassin, I know where to find the guy. After they have coffee, when they're done, and by the way, that ends up being, you know, like an hour, hour and a half thing, uh, a group of them will go on a walk. Yes, retired men going on a walk together, talking every day, same routine, seven days a week, Tom told me. They walk seven days a week. They meet and drink coffee seven days a week. Um, You know, he is a retired vice president. At a company called Pitney Bowes, you may have heard of it. Uh, he was in charge of mailing and shipping. But this week, Tom, like a lot of Husky fans, Tom feels like he's uh, on the moon, right? Like the Huskies are playing for a national championship on Monday. Tom's excited about that. You've got Michael Penix Jr. out talking. You've got um, you've got uh, Kirk Herbstreit talking about the game. You have Jim Harbaugh talking from the Michigan side. Um, here's Michael Penix Jr. talking about um, coming back this season and, and the magical run that it's been at Washington. Yeah, I mean, it's been real special. You know, it's, you know the position that we're in right now is definitely the reason that um, I know that we all chose to come back. You know, we, we saw we saw the vision and we believed, in, uh, we believed that we could be able to achieve the greatest things out there. So um, this team has been doing it. Um, we've been on a mission and uh, we've just been truly blessed, you know, but uh, at the same time, you know, it, it, took, it took a lot of hard work to get here, and uh, it wasn't always perfect, but we, we found a, we always found a way to make it work. So, um, man, it's just hats off to this team and, you know, just our grit and our determination and, and our will to win each and every week. 20 in a row for Washington. They're going for the national championship on Monday, and I bring up Tom because I think he's reflective of a lot of you out there who are sports fans. You know, Tom's born in Seattle. I don't know where you were born. He attended Queen Anne High School, played baseball in high school, and went to the, went, went to the University of Washington on a scholarship where he played college baseball. And, you know, he's a storyteller, and he's got um, certainly a love for his college team. But um, I wrote about him today because he's a reminder of the deep connection that I think fans have with their college teams, the team you root for. You've got a deep connection. It's a generational connection or a regional connection. But you have a connection, whether it's a Beaver fan or a Duck fan or a UP fan or a Husky fan or a Cougar fan or a Seahawks fan or whatever whatever it is, there is a deep connection between fans and the teams that they root for. We know that. That is 
sort of the essence and uh, at the heart of being a sports fan. But I feel like too often ESPN, the NCAA, Fox, college football playoff, transfer portal, like you know, like you're rolling your eyes as I am when we hear about this stuff. Just this week, ESPN and the NCAA agree to a $920 million contract extension to their media rights deal that'll cover the women's basketball tournament and some other tournaments. And I think, you know, that's a good thing, right? Money's a good thing. It keeps the colleges going. College football playoff is due to expand next season. Got the championship game, the last four team invitational taking place on Monday. The the media rights will be up for grabs in 2026. NBC interested in bidding. ESPN will bid. Fox will bid. Um, we have the Pac-12 implosion. Oregon State and Washington State uh, rebuilding the conference now. And now uh, you got a transfer portal, Florida State suing the ACC, bowl season and the opt-outs. That was ugly. You've got, you know, even though it, there's all this new money in college athletics, nobody really knows how sustainable the system is. It's like the entire thing is more lucrative than ever and also could unfold and, and splinter everywhere within, you know, a year or two. So I'm looking at Monday's title matchup. Michigan's really good. Washington's great. I think Washington's going to win the game. But I keep coming back to Tom and his wife, Elaine, and I keep coming back to you as a sports fan. I don't know what flag that you are uh, flying and waving in front of your house or, you know, figuratively or symbolically on game day or if your team was playing for a championship. I don't know what that team would be, but I know you're out there. And I think college athletics has forgotten you. And I think media has forgotten you. And I think that ESPN and Fox take you for granted. And I think the NCAA is so consumed with lawsuits and media money and the pursuit of revenue and Florida State's got a lawsuit and suing the ACC. And where are you in that equation? I can't, you know, I mentioned uh, a couple of days ago that Anna and I had went to see that movie, The Boys in the Boat. Great movie. Washington crew team, 36 Olympics in Berlin. Hitler, Jesse Owens, you know the story, Jesse Owens dominated that Olympics, fastest man in the world. But that story, The Boys in the Boat, there was something about watching it. It's a two-hour movie. Go see it. You know, not just because it's a sports movie. Go see it because it's a great movie. But I'm watching that movie, and I'm thinking to myself, as, you know, you're watching the training and the different crew teams, and I know nothing about rowing. But I know a lot about college athletics, and I can tell you that there was a richness to it that I really think has been lost on the media companies and the executives and the conference commissioners and, frankly, some of the athletes today who are jumping in the portal, chasing NIL money, the agents involved, the coaches who are so distracted and consumed and worried about their own jobs that they can't see straight. And I'm looking back at that movie, and I'm going, I couldn't help it. Like, I'm watching the different teams row, and I'm like, you know, in today's world, somebody would have grabbed the guy in the seventh seat and – offered him an NIL deal and got him to transfer schools and put him in your boat. That's essentially what's going on. It's ugly. And it's not really the spirit of collegiate athletics. Like, you know, I get it. Players need to participate. I'd feel better about it if it wasn't an NIL world, if it just was, hey, they're paid and they share in the revenue from the TV deals and, man, they're getting rich. But they wouldn't be jumping around 
and jumping school to school and being auctioned off to the highest bidder and, you know, Dana Altman coming on our show talking about how he has to deal with agents. Listen to this. Here's Oregon's basketball coach. Oh, John, with with uh, Transfer Portal, a lot of those guys have agents. It's a lot of times the first contact. They they call us and say, hey, we've got this kid and, and his name's in the portal. Are you interested? So, you know, the agents are out there shopping them around. And, uh, you know, again, that's really been a big change for me. And, um, you know, the money that's involved and uh, that is, it's, it's just a big change. You know, for 40 years that I was doing this, the worst thing that could have been said about you is that you bought players. <laughs> and um, now, you know, that's part of the equation. There it is. Worst thing that could be said about you is now part of the equation. I'm left thinking about people like Tom. I'm left thinking about you as a sports fan, as a college fan. People used to ask me, what sport do you love to cover the most or see the most? And it, the answer always started with college. It was college football. It was college basketball. It was college baseball. I mean, I love the NFL. I grew up on the NFL. I was a 49er fan. I grew up on Major League Baseball, San Francisco, San Francisco Giant fan. Love the Olympics. You know, love watching somebody in the culminating moment of their life. Uh, striving to win an Olympic gold medal. But Monday's national championship game, I got to be honest with you, like, you know, there's an element to it that still says it's college football, but it's becoming less and less like college, and I don't know what to do about it. I'm conflicted about it, and I'm left, like, on this Friday before the title game, thinking about my neighbor Tom, who's a diehard Husky fan, having the time of his life, and I'm thinking, you know, his school and that fan base should feel like they're connected. And maybe they are in some ex- to some extent, but I hope that we do not lose that connection to college athletics. There's something rich. There's something beautiful about the connection. And that movie, The Boys in the Boat, captures it. I, I challenge you to go to that movie and not, while you're watching it, have NIL, Transfer Portal, Media Rights Money, dancing in the back of your head. I, I needed to write about Tom today. So if you haven't read it, uh, go to johnconzano.com. You can read it now. Check it out. Softy from KJR in Seattle. Oh, oh man. Uh, I taped an interview with Softy right before the show. Okay, The Huskies are in the air. They're headed to Houston to arrive at George Bush Airport They'll be there tonight, 8 o'clock uh, local time. They will land. Michigan is set to land in about 45 minutes uh, there in, in uh, Houston. And uh, I got to tell you, I caught Softy. He was out by Husky Stadium. The team was getting its send-off. And so I said, hey, let's just tape the interview instead of going live because who knows what's going to happen. He's going to lose his mind. He's such a fanboy, and he's watching his team go off, and he's KJR broadcaster. You know Softy. He's come on the show a lot. I'm actually happy for Softy. You know, we've heard him over the years agonize with his team because I can't simultaneously look at my neighbor Tom and be like, you know, I'm really happy for Tom. I'm happy for fans at Michigan and and Washington or get to see their teams play for a national championship. It's going to be great when it's a 12-team playoff. It'll be more inclusive. People in all corners of the country will probably feel like they're part of the playoffs, much like they do with the NBA and the NFL playoffs and maybe Major League Baseball a little bit. So it'll be more inclusive. It'll be, 
you know, more joyful, more connective. So I can't simultaneously say that about Tom and not recognize that, you know, there's part of this is good for Softy. But Softy said something in our interview that, frankly, Duck fans are not going to like. You're not going to like it. I'm going to warn you right now. If you are sensitive, if you can't handle a Husky fan jabbing at you, you probably don't want to stick around and listen to what Softy's going to say here in this interview. I just uh, kind of, you know, here I am preaching solidarity. Here I am preaching. This is great for the Pacific Northwest. Children gather around the living room. You know, I'll be in Houston for the game. And, and part of me, I'm torn a little bit because I'll be there. I'll be doing live updates during this show, 3 o'clock hour, 4 o'clock hour, 5 o'clock hour, from the stadium in front of the game, and I will be there to write and report, obviously, for johnconzano.com on Monday in Houston. But there's part of me that's like, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to sit with the 7-year-old and the 9-year-old and Anna and all three daughters in the living room and watch a Pacific Northwest team potentially win a national championship. There's part of me that, you know, maybe it's a little Pollyanna. Meanwhile, Softy's going, what are you talking about? This is good for Softy. He said that. You're going to hear him say it in the interview coming up. Steven, I can't wait to, to see the reaction or hear the reaction from fans. And, may, and maybe Softy's right. Maybe Duck fans will listen to it and call in and light up the phone lines and Beaver fans and Husky fans and Cougar fans will uh, see it all eye to eye. But um, I, I'm excited to hear you as you hear it, uh, Stephen. I had to bleep out Softy. That's how excited he was. Uh, being there at the stadium and watching his team get a send-off. We had to bleep him out like he was, uh, you know, uh, a comedian, and he got a little raw. Yeah, a little Coach Barnum, a little, ble- little bleeping out there. I uh, I imagine, you know, when when uh, Softy says what he says, uh, I can't imagine uh, Duck fans, Beaver fans, Husky fans, Cougar fans all, all all lining as one. Like, that. you know, just anything Softy says I feel like is going to be decisive or divisive and, uh, you know, really. He surprised me, though. Really? Okay. He, I, I can't he, but- wait then. He surprised me because I thought he's he's on cloud nine. I mean, his team's playing for the national championship. He is like Mr. Husky Honk. They have happened to put, it's like you put a radio microphone in front of the biggest fan in the stadium. He's not objective at all. I just thought his shoes are not have probably not touched the ground since the Sugar Bowl. And he's going to come on and maybe he's going to be a little bit more, you know, this is great and, you know, Oregon is... Nothing to be ashamed of. They were really close, but it's not quite the vibe he's sending out right now. And it may change your rooting interest for the game. So stick around. Next you'll hear it. Softy KJR in Seattle. And I want your phone calls right after the interview. Leave it here. National Championship game will take place on Monday. College football playoff invitational championship game. We saw the Sugar Bowl, where Washington knocked out Texas. You saw the Rose Bowl, where Michigan outlasted Alabama in overtime. Now it'll be Michigan against Washington for all the marbles on Monday. I will be there. I'll be on site in Houston. I will be calling into this radio show in the 3 o'clock hour, 4 o'clock hour, 5 o'clock hour, telling you what I see, what the experience is like, bringing you some flavor from the stadium. I'll also be writing all weekend long, johnconzano.com, you want to know what's going on with the playoff and the national championship game and all of the uh, you know tentacles that are around that, make sure you get a subscription. 
at johnconzano.com. Just go there, get a free subscription, paid subscription, whatever works for you works for me. Our next guest is Mr. University of Washington honk himself, the biggest honk in the land. KJR, you find him there. You can find him losing his mind at any Washington home football game. Dave Softy Mahler joining us from outside of Husky Stadium, where the Huskies are preparing to depart. The Michigan team is due into George Bush Intercontinental Airport at about 4.30 p.m., and Washington will land around 8 o'clock local time. What's the scene there, Softy? Oh, dude, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. It's just complete chaos. I'm here. <laughs> Out here right now, outside the stadium, they're uh, they got a big wa- or a big uh, party for the players and coaches as they jump on the bus. And so, hi. And so we're just, uh, yeah, dude, I'm a freaking mess right now, man. I'm just completely <laughs> lost. All right, let's go into this. Um, give me an idea of what this means to you personally, and then the fan base in general, and then we'll get into the game stuff. I just think for me, I, I think growing up in 1991 and watching that thing when you're 17, 18 years old, you kind of wondered if this was going to be a, a one-time shot, you know, for Washington. You know, this stuff doesn't really happen a lot around here. Obviously, you got a great program that consistently is vying for Pac-10 championships and Rose Bowls and things like that. But national titles is a little bit of a different animal. You know, they came close in 84 with the Orange Bowl team, uh, came close in 2000 with New Heisel's team that won the Rose Bowl against Purdue, won it in 91, but I had to share it with Miami, and you wonder, is that is that 91 thing going to be kind of a one-off? And here we are, and you're, you're, you're three days away from maybe getting it back again for the second time in your life. So for me, John, you know, I'm a Seahawks fan, I'm a Mariner fan, but if these guys can pull this off on Monday night, this would be the greatest thing I've ever seen as a sports fan in my life, bar none. Give me an idea, because you've watched this team all season long. Like, you know, uh, they didn't seem faced by the Sugar Bowl. Have they handled this stage in the in the bright lights uh, well well it's interesting you go to UW yesterday and they had four players available uh Alfonso Tupatala Roger Rosengarten um Jalen Polk um and then uh, there was a fourth guy I forget who it was man my mind is mush right now dude I can't even I don't even know what the hell day it is dude but all of them <laughs> just kind of it, it 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 looked and felt like business as usual for the Huskies you know I mean there's so much chaos right now happening around the program, all these events that are happening in Houston and New Orleans, all these different parties, and they're bringing by a bunch of members from that 1991 team. You know, there's, there's even rumors that Steve Entman is going to come out of his shell and make an appearance in Houston this weekend, right? So all this stuff happening, and these guys have handled all of it, you know, like professionals. I mean, they're not letting any of it get to them. Elijah Jackson had that great play to break up that ball to Mitchell in the Sugar Bowl. And then that night, he's like, hey, you know what? We got one more game to go. You know, the big celebration can wait until Monday in Houston. So they, they absolutely were built for this moment. The coaches say they're built for the moment, and it sounds like a cliche, but it really is their motto. I mean, it's worked, and they absolutely have been locked in this entire time. You know, I find it kind of funny that Michigan's talking about their brotherhood and how much they love each other and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, every team feels like that, right? Alabama probably felt like that. Texas probably felt like that, but – I just think in the end, the talent won out. I thought Washington had more talent than Texas did in that game on Monday. And honestly, John, I thought there was a point in time, a couple points in time during that game where I thought Washington was going to kick Texas's ass in that game. And it just never materialized because UW could just not get that one play, third and one, fourth and one, after the turnover. They could not get that one play to make that happen. But, dude, I cannot wait for Monday night. I am so freaking excited for Monday night. I don't know if I've ever been this excited for anything in my life for Monday. 
Soft, Dave Softy Mahler from KJR in Seattle is our guest. Uh, he's headed off to Houston. I'll see you in Houston. I will be yeah. there. Uh, the Pac-12 this season, um, you know, I kept looking at Washington's year in three-point win over Oregon, three-point win over Oregon, two points over Oregon State, three over Washington State. You, you, you were there for all those games. How did that battle test Washington and prepare them maybe for the Sugar Bowl and, and for the stage they'll be on on Monday? Yeah, well, just the nerves, right? There's nerves in moments like that, and Washington knows how to handle it. I mean, you you watch Kalen DeBoer on the sideline. Do you see a guy jumping up and down, losing his mind? I don't. Do you see a guy that's losing his cool? I don't. I don't see a football team or a coaching staff that's doing any of that stuff. So, I mean, look, to get to 14-0, and you got to have a little bit of luck, right? You know, Dan Lanning going forward on fourth and one from the 50-yard line in the first game. Uh, Camden Smith or Lewis, whatever the hell his name is, the kicker for the Ducks. I forgot already. It's been so long. Him missing that field goal, you know, just barely wide right. You've got to have a little bit of luck to get to 14-0. Nobody does that without at least a little bit of luck. But I, I just see a football team that's got a ton of composure, uh, not just on the sideline, but also in the booth with Ryan Grubb, the sideline with the players and the coaches. And I tell you what, these guys get into a battle of Michigan 24-24, for example, late fourth quarter on Monday. I, I think that's that's a, that's a situation that Washington's been in many, 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 many times this year, and they know how to handle it. So I think I like our chances, John, if they get to that, per, that, that, that point in time on Monday night. Yeah, and I think Penix is built for those kinds of moments and those kinds oh. of games. He should have won the what Heisman, it, John. What he should have won what, the absolute Heisman trophy. What is it? I, I had him on top of my Heisman ballot. But I know you did. What is it with the rest of the country uh, in the Sugar Bowl suddenly waking up and going, oh, this guy's really good? Like, they haven't yeah. been watching, have they? Because nobody watches them because they're freaking lazy, okay? I mean, Booger McFarlane, can you play big boy football? I mean, dude, uh, I don't want to be a jerk or nothing, but is this guy stupid? Honestly, he was on the air during the Oregon game, the first Oregon game, talking about how, how, uh, how impressed he was with Washington's physicality. And then he did it again in Vegas in the Pac-12 championship. And then four days later, he's wondering if they can play big boy football. I mean, does this moron even know his own opinions, for God's sake? Is he, is he even listening to what's flying out of his mouth for crying out loud? you got guys on, on, on ESPN uh, that are mispronouncing players' names. You know, Scott Van Pelt called Roma Dunze Roma Dunzo on TV. I mean, what the hell are we doing here, man? So, look, I, I get it. Nobody's asking you to stay up, you know, at 1 o'clock in the morning and watch Stanford and Cal, for God's sakes. But you've got a team that's been in the top ten the entire year top four for the last month and a half, and you can't even find it in yourself to watch these guys play for five seconds to realize what they're all about. It's just lazy, and most of these idiots work at ESPN, to be honest with you. There, Oregon was in this game in 2015 and, and got yeah. blown off the field by Ohio State. It was Ezekiel Elliott, Cardell Jones. They were just overmatched. Washington and Michigan, it doesn't have that feel to me. I think it's a close game. I like yeah. Penix and Washington in a close game. But do, do the players on this team realize how fleeting the moment is, Softy? Would you talk yes. to them about seizing yes. the opportunity? Yeah, they get it. Jalen Polk, I was talking to him about that yesterday. He said, look, man, this is something that for almost all of us is never going to happen again as long as we live. You know, when you're 70 years old and you're sitting on your couch and you're having a beer and you're calling your buddies from that 2023 team, what do you want those conversations to be all about? They, they absolutely get it. This is a one-time shot for them may not be a one-time shot for the program, but it's a one-time shot for the players. And I love what Jalen Polk said. This is not just for us. This is for generations of Husky fans that have come before us. So they, they absolutely, John, understand that this is a one-time shot for them, as it is for Michigan. You realize that Michigan's only won two natties 
in their in their program's history, 1940s and then uh, 1997. So they're they're looking for their first championship in 27 years as well. I think Michigan probably also looks at this as a one-time shot too. The the running back situation, Dylan Johnson. Do you yeah. have any sense if if the kid can go if he's healthy? They, he's gonna play. He, he's gonna play. There's not a chance in hell he doesn't play in the game on Monday. I mean, come on. You got to cut this guy's head off to not have him play on Monday. How effective will he be is the question. Dylan Johnson will absolutely suit up. He will absolutely play in the game on Monday night. How effective will he be? I don't know. You saw him in the fourth quarter, John, against the Ducks in Vegas, and he was hurting. He was turning down water, but he picked up everything they needed after that holding call on Nate Calippo on first and 20. He got it all himself. So he's an absolute warrior. I expect the guy to bust his ass on Monday night. He's got a kid. This guy's got a son, okay? He's got a family. He, he knows he needs to go out and do something like this for his family on Monday night. So he will absolutely go. The only question is how effective will he be, for Dave, sure. Dave Softy Muller, KJR in Seattle. Um, you know, there's a lot of Oregon fans who have mixed feelings, uh, just like Washington fans did in 2015. Yeah. But right. isn't it good for the Pacific Northwest to have a team in the title game? Well, it's good for me. That's all that matters, baby. Good for Softy. It's good for us. I mean, I was rooting hard against Oregon when they made the championship game. Big wow. time. Uh, I, I wanted nothing to do with Oregon winning a national championship, and I hope Oregon fans feel the same way. I mean, I don't want Oregon fans rooting for Washington, and they don't want me rooting for them. This is exactly the way it should be. Let's, 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 let's carry this rivalry, John, with us to the Big Ten. The nastiness, the animosity, the hatred, the history of this rivalry between UW and Oregon. I don't want this to die in the Big Ten. I don't want UW to start becoming a rival of Nebraska or Penn State or Ohio State. I don't want Oregon to do the same thing with Michigan. I want to carry this nastiness, which I think is great for the game. It's great for business. It's great for sports. Uh, let's carry this with us to the Big Ten. So if you're an Oregon fan and you're rooting for Washington on Monday night, shame on you. And that's coming from a Husky fan, by the way. The, the, so Oregon, there's a chance here, Softy. Let's say, let's say that Washington blows Michigan off the field. Let's say Washington right. wins by double digits. Right. Oregon fans may sit back and go, hey, we played them tougher than anybody twice. Those games probably could have yeah. gone either way. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, I think, I think there is that one little thing you can have in the back of your mind that at least we lost to the best team in college football, but that, that would not give me any comfort whatsoever if I were an Oregon fan whatsoever, man. So, listen, i got to run, pal. The team is coming out right now. There's a bunch of people out here waiting. Uh, I know they're not here for me, but i got to go, and let's talk soon, okay? All right, I'll see you in Houston. Try to get some sleep. Right. You bet. Thanks, man. Thank you. There he Bye. goes. Dave Softy Mahler, KJR in Seattle. So you heard it, Duck fan. You heard from him there. He's saying that he would not be rooting for Oregon if Oregon were in the national championship game. Does that surprise you? Probably doesn't surprise you a bit. Um, I will try to check in with Softy in the press box in the run-up to the game. I know he's going to be a mess. He was a mess uh, during uh, the Oregon games. He was a mess. Uh, he's been. He's always a mess for every Washington Home football game, away football game, big football game, and this is the biggest of them all. I will be there on Monday in Houston for the national championship game. I will be calling into this radio show. You'll hear me in the 3 o'clock hour, the 4 o'clock hour, the 5 o'clock hour. I'll be reporting and writing at johnconzano.com over the weekend and into Monday's title game. So make sure you grab a subscription, free subscription or paid subscription. Just go to johnconzano.com. Make sure you're on the list so you don't miss anything. 
I want your phone calls, though. Uh, what did you think of what Softy had to say there? If you're a Duck fan, do you root for the Huskies in this one? Is it a Pacific Northwest thing or not? I had been leaning hard into the idea that this is a Pacific Northwest thing. It's, there's a brotherhood. It's about the region. Softy says it isn't. You tell me. 503-417-7575. Obviously, Softy on Cloud 9. Washington fans, you're feeling it, right? Your toes haven't touched the ground since the Sugar Bowl. But uh, Softy's saying, you know, he hopes Oregon fans don't root for the Huskies, that he wants that rivalry to stay alive and... Sounds like uh, he would like you, if you're an Oregon fan, to uh, be rooting for Michigan on Monday. I want your reaction to all of that, 503-417-7575. Keep in mind, Softy is a different animal. I don't expect everybody to agree and think like him. If you do all think like him, then I, uh, I would be very surprised. Let's go to Eric in Portland. Phone lines are jammed. Eric, go ahead. Hey, uh, John. Uh, yeah, first of all, Softy is 1,000% right when he says that the ESPN crew over there, a lot of these guys are absolute morons. I don't expect you to pile on on that, but I often just can't believe the nonsense I hear coming out of some of these guys over, over there at ESPN. Now, to the point... I think he's wrong. Uh, if I, you know, I'm an Oregon fan, and I'm going to vote for Washington because I'd rather lose to the best team in the country as opposed to losing to the second best team in the country. It ups my credibility as a team. If the only one I ever lost to was the national champion, so I disagree with him on that, and I'm going to root, 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 root uh, for Washington even though I was born in Michigan and have been a, a big blue fan, uh, fan for a long time. But I love the Pennock story. I love what Washington is doing, what the coach is doing. So uh, go Huskies. There you go. Pacific Northwest vote right there. Tony's in Portland. Tony, welcome to the show. John, are we on? You are on, Tony. You have the floor. Oh, man. Uh I, I can't disagree more with uh, with Eric and agree more with our friend Softy. Second generation duck. Uh, I can guarantee you, John, there are tens of thousands of duck fans who want to see the Huskies cry their balls off on the field on Monday. So oh, I've got three Husky brother-in-laws. My wife, she's not with Softy. She congratulated them. But I'm sorry, I can't do it. I'm out. There you go. So you are voting that you're rooting against the Huskies. 503-417-7575 opens up a couple lines there. Gary's in Tualatin. Gary, what do you think? Hey, John. Go Ducks. Uh, Hate is a good thing. I can't stand them. Uh, Didn't watch the games last week because I was hoping all four teams would lose. I hope both teams lose on Monday. Uh, can't stand the Huskies. Uh, any team can have a bad decade every once in a while, and they did. Um, you don't get it. Uh, you're a reporter. You're not a fan like he is. And uh, the hatred is what makes it fun. We, we can't stand each other, and that's what makes the whole thing fun. And the only consolation that we have from losing that game uh, is that we wouldn't have went to the Final Four either. 
They would have had an excuse. They would have said we're a one-loss team and would have taken Florida State. What if you would have won them both? What, Gary, what if you would have won them both? We would I think, have had to go undefeated. Yeah. That was the only yeah. way the Pac-12 was going to be able to make it in, period. Yeah. And if yeah. we would have beat Washington, we would have both been out instead of Washington in. They had to be undefeated or there would have been – and they, they barely got in as a Well, was. let me ask you then. Let me ask you. Would you, in, with hindsight, would you have wanted to win the, the uh, conference title game Knock Washington out. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There you go. But That's... the consolation is is that we didn't. But we, if we did win it, we wouldn't have went anyway. So you know, there there is that yeah. that uh, little bit of sour grapes that we can yeah. cling to. Did you did did Oregon lose the nas- national championship game twice? I've heard Oregon fans say that they lost at Washington in October. They lost the conference championship game in December. Did the Ducks lose it twice? Well, it's good for me. That's all that matters, baby. <laughs> good for softies. It's good for us. I mean, I was rooting hard against Oregon when they made the championship game. Big wow. time. Uh, I, I wanted nothing to do with Oregon winning a national championship, and I hope Oregon fans feel the same way. I mean, I don't want Oregon fans rooting for Washington, and they don't want me rooting for them. This is exactly the way it should be. Let's, 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 let's carry this rivalry, John, with us to the Big Ten. The nastiness, the animosity, the hatred, the history of this rivalry between UW and Oregon. I don't want this to die in the Big Ten. I don't want UW to start becoming a rival of Nebraska or Penn State or Ohio State. I don't want Oregon to do the same thing with Michigan. I want to carry this nastiness, which I think is great for the game. It's great for business. It's great for sports. Uh, let's carry this with us to the Big Ten. So if you're an Oregon fan, and you're rooting for Washington on Monday night, shame on you. And that's coming from a Husky fan, by the way. There's Softy, KJR, in Seattle. Let's go to Jules in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Jules, what do you think? Hey, John. Um, I was going to call, and I didn't have your number ready, but there you go. What I can say, and I lived in Seattle for 20 years. I worked at the University of Washington, didn't go to school there. I moved to Eugene. I've lived in Eugene now 25 years. So I'm a Northwesterner. But I understand, and I understand your take on the Northwest concept. But I got to tell you, uh, I understand that. But I love your guest's take on rivalry and hatred and all of that. Um, and, and in addition to that, I just want to say that that interview you just Brand had to be the most entertaining interview I've ever heard on any sports talk station anywhere. It was choice. It was amazing. And 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 I just happened to be in my car in order to to, to hear it. So well, I, I appreciate I, that you had you you apparently had the station preset. So I appreciate that, Jules. You played a role in that. Good on you. Now, Thank you. I don't have a local affiliation. I can't root for either of these teams, to be honest with you. I grew up, I went to college in Jersey with one of the worst college football teams in the country. Uh, so, <laughs> Was that, were you in Rut, you're a Rutgers fan? I'm a Rutgers alum. There you go. <laughs> I, well, I don't know you've had. Rutgers, but I'm well, a Rutgers alum. Is there a part of you, Jules, because you live in Eugene, is there a part of you happy that Rutgers will come to Eugene and play a football game and you'll get to see your alma mater, or would you rather just have a separation of that church and state for yourself? Oh, 
no, no, I'm happy to have, uh, see whatever is happening with Rutgers. When, when I went, John, uh, I'm of, of an age. Um, Rutgers was a small college. It It's changed in the last 50 years so dramatically, it's hard to even contemplate. Uh, but, uh, no, I'm happy to have them. It, 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 football is what it is, and it makes money, and uh, I'm not going to begrudge them that. There you go. Jules listening on Fox Sports, Eugene. Love that. I love at the end of the interview, and Safi says, the team's here. I got to go. <laughs> like like his girlfriend had pulled up in front of the house, you know. <laughs> I got to go. John's in Portland. John, go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Man, it's well, a long right. time. Man, those guys are haters, man. Of course I don't want to see Washington win, but am I still going to root for them in spite of that? Hell yeah, <laughs> because I despise Michigan even more. I don't want to see them win. That's true. I didn't think about that I angle. Never, I'm from the West Oregon. Man, my family grew, used to work in Eugene. I got relatives down there still. Man, quit being haters. That's what separates us from them. There you go. All right, so John in Portland saying that Duck fans, better than Husky fans, because they're able to kind of go, A, we hate you, it's a rivalry, still going to root for you. Um, there isn't the true Pac-12 sort of affiliation where you can go, hey, it's great for the conference going forward because the conference really in its present form isn't going forward. So you have to remove that. The money will already funnel into the conference. Uh, the payout for the Huskies getting to the semifinal game, um, you know, and you get nothing for the championship game, so winning the championship game doesn't get you an additional payout. But Oregon State, Washington State, everybody in the conference getting about $2 million bucks each because of um, Washington doing what it's done in this playoff. Uh, but John and Portland suggesting that the Duck fans are are better than the Husky fans because they, they will root a little bit for Washington. How about CJ in Happy Valley? CJ, welcome to the conversation. Hey, John, you there? I am here. Welcome. On the field. Let me turn, turn this down. Yeah, hey, please I, do. This is, this is an interesting topic, man. I talked to my buddy about this last night, and uh, I'm a Cougar who grew up in Seattle. And, you know, for, for what is that, like 13 years, they – Oregon just pounded on on Washington. They became Washington. You know, they became their fans. And so now, you know, the tide's turned again back back to the other side. And I'm from afar watching this, and I, it kind of cracks me up because I, I have buddies of mine that say, hey, we, we lose to the potential national champion. And I'm like, that's garbage, man. You, you, you lost by six total points. That's not how those games went. Hell, the Cougs played them to the end. But – I told my buddies, I said, listen, if they win this national title, the W's on the side of those helmets will be for winning a national title, and the zeros, what they tell you, will be for zero natties, and they will pound on the ducks forever. So yep. I don't want them to win at all, to be honest with you. But uh, yep. my allegiance, I guess, Seattle, I'll go with the Huskies. There you go. Uh, he's going with the Huskies. I think it's a Pacific Northwest victory. I think it's a victory for the Pacific time zone. I think Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, they've had their fun. I would like to see someone else win it, and it's why I think to this point I've kind of looked at Washington and gone, well, that's the Pacific time zone's team. Got to get behind them a little bit. But then you hear softies, a Washington fan, being like, there's no more room on the bandwagon. Shame on you. Uh, let's go to Mike, uh, who has uh, got an opinion of his own. Go ahead, Mike. Say, hey, John, uh, first of all, I think the uh, Ducks fans should root for the Huskies because 
The Ducks ain't going to never give them a reason to root because they ain't going to never go to the playoffs. I'm going to tell you, the Ducks fan ought to be hating Dan Lannon. He's the reason the Ducks ain't in the, cha- ain't in the championship. He made some bad calls. Say, if the Ducks are so good, why when Dan Lannon won the toss, how come he gave the ball up? If the Ducks were so good, he should have got the ball and, 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 and played first. But, no, he gave the ball up, husked, and then he kicked the onside kick when he should have kicked it back to the end zone. He kept making a, bad, a bunch of bad choices. So if you're going to hate anybody, hate Dan Lannon. Talk to you later. There's Mike in Portland. Pointing to the strategy mistakes. Mark in Portland, follow that. Well, how does he feel about Deion Sanders in Colorado? I, I mean, I want to get a – why didn't he talk about that first? Well, I mean, he did pick them to win the championship. and they He did. He picked, a, he, did he, he picked uh, Colorado and USC to be in the Pac-12 championship. Well, uh, you know, Mike's – today is probably the most uh, close to point he's made. Uh, Dan Lanning has been outcoached. But Oregon is on the cusp, a lot like the Buffalo Bills in the NFL. They've played in two national championships. They've won five major BCS games. From an old-time fan like me, I get the Huskies rubbing it in. They've, they've had, if they win this, John, they'll have had two better teams than Oregon's ever had. Plain and simple, 1991 and, uh, and this year, because they finished the deal. Oregon, for some reason, is you know like the Blazers in the 1990s. They're... They are a, a, a really good football team, uh, you know, year in and year out, and they've 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 come close, and that's why I'm excited about the 12 team playoff because Oregon yes. would have been in the playoff in 2000, 2001, 2010, 11, 12. You're so you know, right. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be so good to see 12 teams to see more participation. I want more of your phone calls. Matt Prem, 24 seven Sports is coming up. Um, you tell me, uh, as a Duck fan, as a Beaver fan, as a Husky fan, can you find it in your heart to root for for Washington? You tell me. Well, we've been taking a lot of phone calls. I'm hearing uh, that the the rivalry with Oregon and Washington is alive and well. Softy from KJR in Seattle came on the show. Well, it's good for me. That's all that matters, baby. Good for Softies. It's good for us. I mean, I was rooting hard against Oregon when they made the championship game. Big wow. time. Uh, I, I wanted nothing to do with Oregon winning a national championship, and I hope Oregon fans feel the same way. I mean, I don't want Oregon fans rooting for Washington, and they don't want me rooting for them. This is exactly the way it should be. Let's, 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 let's carry this rivalry, John, with us to the Big Ten. The nastiness, the animosity, the hatred, the history – of this rivalry between UW and Oregon, I don't want this to die in the Big Ten. I don't want UW to start becoming a rival of Nebraska or Penn State or Ohio State. I don't want Oregon to do the same thing with Michigan. I want to carry this nastiness, which I think is great for the game. It's great for business. It's great for sports. Uh, Let's carry this with us to the Big Ten. So if you're an Oregon fan and you're rooting for Washington on Monday night, shame on you. And that's coming from a Husky fan, by the way. There it is, softy. AJR in Seattle. Matt Prem, 24-7 sports, covers the University of Oregon. At a basketball game, happened to find himself in Seattle last night, covering the Ducks' win over the Huskies. He's joining us now. 
What what's the atmosphere there? You heard Softy, by the way. Let, let, are you surprised by that at all, Matt? Um, if you're rooting for Washington, come on, like that that's wrong. If I know if you're if you're an Oregon fan and you're and you're rooting for Washington, so I mean I I don't know where he's coming up with the idea that this rivalry is going to go away when they go to the Big Ten. It's only going to get stronger because. It's going to be the last game of the year. And think about, we see this in what's called the big game between Ohio State and Michigan. Like, How many times have those teams won a game to eliminate the other one from the playoff or the national championship conversation? Like, That will happen with these two teams at Oregon and Washington in late November when, when they play. And I would think if you're I, look, I think Washington's going to win. I, I don't think I don't think uh, it's probably going to be the worst situation from an Oregon fan's perspective because uh, they're going to see the Huskies get a legitimate national championship and they're going to be able to put it in front of Oregon's face, um, and that's going to stink for Oregon fans. But I I think this this rivalry is only going to get last year. It's only going to get better, and with the move to the Big Ten, it's going to become a it's going to become a thing nationally. I. Because look, I, I don't know about you, John. I think both Oregon and Washington. I I think you could sell me on to a degree. USC and UCLA. They're gonna run the Big Ten early on. Ohio State and Michigan are gonna be good, but everybody else, they're slow. They're boring offensively. Uh, I think the defenses are inflated because of how poor the offenses are. And I think the West Coast speed is gonna show up, and especially Oregon and Washington. Would not yeah, be surprised if they're if they're one and two next year in the league. Yeah, and I I originally thought, oh gosh, you're gonna have to go into that conference. You're gonna have to deal with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin. There's depth there, and then this season, I just have not been impressed with the Big Ten and no. even Ohio State and even Michigan. I got to be honest, like you know, Michigan's there. I kind of think Oregon, Michigan would be a hell of a game. Yeah, yeah, I I I am firm believer that that. I think Washington's going to win by more than a score. Uh, they've got they've got an NFL quarterback. They've got four NFL receivers, and no one in college football has the defense to to cover those guys. Um, the only way Washington wins is if if they commit to the run game and they don't try and play catch up and they just try and put together a bunch of drives. I don't think that happens. Uh, I think Washington brings back a good core. I think they hit the portal and they bring some more guys in for quick fixes. And in the short term, at least, Washington will be an elite team again next season. I think Oregon's going to be an elite team next year. And I, I just think with the speed and with, with the offenses that both teams have, uh, the, pack, the the Big Ten championship will run through the Pacific Northwest. I, I, it seems homerish to say that, but I, I, I'm not, unlike you, I'm not impressed at all with, what, with the Big Ten, what they have. And I think it's going to be the same next year. Dan Lanning in, in December's signing day, there's yeah. a lot of noise about his class. Give us an idea because you study this, you write about this all the time. Give, give us an idea how good that class was. How you know how it compares maybe to some Mario Cristobal classes. What did you think of signing day? It's the best class ever. Um, whether it's tr- the traditional route of high school and JUCO players. Um, or you want to look at it from the modern day era of high school JUCO and portal. It's, it's, it's the best class ever. And that's a factual stat. It's not just my opinion. 
Um, 26, 26 guys have signed. And from a from a pure ratings perspective, ranking numbers perspective, it's the best class ever. Um, they've done a tremendous job of dominating the West Coast. The best player in California, the best player in Arizona, the best player in Washington. Uh, they've got the best, the second best JUCO player in the country. They've got the best player in the state of Oklahoma coming to Oregon. Um, they have. I want to say off the top of my head, it's like seven guys, eight guys that are top two, four, seven players in the country. That's the most uh, that they've signed in one year. Um, they've targeted the defensive line heavily yet again. Uh, and then they've, they've signed some game-breaking receivers, Jeremiah McClellan, Ryan Pelham, uh, and Dylan, um, Dylan Johnson, or yeah, Dylan Johnson. And, or Gresham, excuse me. And I talked to Junior Adams. I asked him, like, what's the expectations of all three of these guys? And he said, like, the, from a talent perspective, they're good enough to play day one. And it's how do they respond? How do they execute? How quickly do they adjust to the speed? Talked to Tony Tuioti. Asked him about some of these guys that he signed. Uh, he, he, he's got two five-star defensive linemen coming in. He's got another one uh, in Jericho Johnson that's a massive human being. Um, they signed the the two best defensive tackles out west. He said all of them have the have the talent to play right away. They've all got the physical skill set to play right away. And it's just how quickly do they adjust to the speed of this game? Um, Aaron Flowers is an elite safety from Texas, Forney High School. They played for the state championship game uh, down there, and he has dominated at the um, All Star games that he's played in. Uh, that's another thing. A lot of these guys are – a couple of them will be playing tomorrow on, on TV um, in the Adidas All-American game. Uh, but Aaron Flowers is, is a guy that the expectation – Chris Hampton, Oregon's safeties coach and co-defensive coordinator, he told me, like, this is a guy we recruited because the expectation is he's going to be good enough to play next season as a true freshman. Now, none of these coaches came out and said he's going to be a superstar. He's going to be a starter year, day one. They don't. They don't talk that way. They don't. They don't put that pressure on their players. But they were all willing to come out and basically say, like a lot of these guys, like it's up to them to play. They've got the talent. They've got the athleticism. They've got the physical size, which is not normally the case. Um, it's the best class in school history, and it's it, as crazy as it sounds. Dan's just getting started, and I I think the 2025 class has a has a chance to be even better than this depend, you know, they're already having a couple commits on, on, on staff or on, on this class. Uh, they're in on some five stars and Dan talked about how a like, year one, it was you're, you're, you're selling a vision and year two, it's you've now got some factual data to show recruits of, yeah, we can do this. This is what we did here. This player is going to do this and he did it. And we're starting to see the fruits of that labor play out and, uh, a couple guys like Junior Adams is turning into. I mean, the, he recruited all those UW receivers, all of those guys that the, the big big things for the Huskies. He brought them all there. He's he's now doing it at at, at Oregon. Um, he's turning into like if you're a premier receiver out west or nationally, like you look at what Junior Adams is doing. Uh, Demetrius Martin, Oregon's cornerback coach, turned into uh, he turned Christian Gonzalez into a first round draft pick this past season. Kyrie Jackson's going to get drafted at some point this year. You've seen projections of a day two pick 
for Kyrie Jackson this year. They're really high on Jaleel Florence, a, a returning player next season. They're really high on uh, Sione uh, Luluel, uh, a Juco guy. Like, if one of those players pops enough next season uh, and, and is an NFL guy, like, three straight years of, of producing – an NFL draft pick at the cornerback position, very possible for Oregon. Like he's turning into a guy and now we'll sign. Like, look, think about how good Bo was last season. And he made marked improvements this season. Will Stein will get Dylan Gabriel. Uh, and he's got Dante Moore waiting in the wings. Like Oregon's only going up and it's going to be on them now to kind of, shed the label of always potential and they never win the big one. That's the big, that's the hurdle that's left. They got to beat Washington. You don't win three in that. And, you know, they're, they're really close to putting together, you know, multiple classes that are blue chip heavy. And that's what's required to to get to the playoffs and and ultimately win it. Matt Prem, 24 seven sports with us. You mentioned Dylan Gabriel and here I was after the Fiesta Bowl looking at Bo Nix going, wow, 61 starts. Can that even be broken? Like you'd have to play, you'd have to play, uh, you know, into the playoff multiple years, you know, 12-team playoff conference championship game. Here comes Dylan Brooks, 49 starts, another experienced guy. But how different is he in your mind than Bo Nix? Will he start? Is it a no-brainer? Is it possible he would see a little Dante Moore? You you tell me. He starts. Um, He's more of a runner and more willing of a runner. Um, but their skill sets translate. Um, they're very, they're both very good, quick decision makers. Um, Gabriel will, will break Bo Nix's record and potentially have a couple games on top of that. If Oregon keeps him healthy and then Oregon makes the run like they think they could. Um, but I think the offense will be very similar. Uh, I think the running threat of Dylan Gabriel will be something new, um, and Dante Moore, I think he plays. I, I don't. I, I think he redshirts, but they, they probably do a little spot play. Like, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be the guy that, when it it turns into a sixty-three to, to seven performance against Idaho, uh, week three or whenever they play the Vandals now, um, in the middle of the third quarter. I I don't think that's just the automatic game for Dante Moore. But it, probably the, the first one probably will be, but they'll probably, you know, pick and choose where he plays um, th- just to give him some development. Or if they think he's good enough when he shows up right away and he's only going to be on campus for three total seasons, there's no point in redshirting him. Uh, so, so play him in every single blowout. But I think that's kind of the debate with, with Dante Moore is how much development does he need? How much time does he need? If, if they view him as a guy that's going to potentially be on campus for four seasons, redshirt him. So you get three years of him as a starter. Uh, if, if they think he's only going to be here when he arrives and it's like, wow, he's really good. He's, he's got all the tools. He's going to be here. Uh, he's going to play right away when, when, when Gabriel moves on and we have full confidence in him being elite. Then, yeah, you, you don't redshirt him in 2024 and you just get him into every single game that you possibly can just to get him more game reps uh, for that 2025 season. Um, I, 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 I think Austin Novosad will probably play a little bit, but that, that, that more part will be what dictates if he red shirts or, or if he tries to, to play a lot. Cause I, I, I think this offense is going to be really good and it potentially get even better. Um, they've, they've got a, a transfer portal target, um, Stewart from Texas A&M on campus this weekend. 
and he's one of the best portal players available um, or, or straight up just entered the portal this season. Um, very, very electric receiver. He comes to Oregon and they've, they've basically replaced uh, Troy Franklin with a former five-star, a, a top 10 portal prospect this off season. They brought back Tez Johnson. They brought back Trayshawn Holden, Gary Bryant back. Jurion uh, Dickey will, will be healthy for the season. Um, I, I they've got studs at running back. I, I, I think Jordan James is going to be better than Bucky uh, Bucky when he gets the workload of what Bucky got. Um, Noah Whittington said today he's back. I, I think this off, offensive line's all back except for Stephen Jones and, and JPJ, and we we know that you know. Poncho Iapani Lalu is a, a true freshman, freshman All American when he didn't start a single game. Um, they're 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 loaded offensively. They're going to be really good next season. Matt Prem with us covers the Ducks twenty four seven sports. You were you were at the basketball game last night. Oregon's yeah. in Seattle so 70, 76-74 win for the Ducks over the Huskies. Give us give me an idea. Is the Washington does the Washington fan have the bandwidth for basketball right now, or are they all in on no. football and unable to deal with it until the football season's over? They don't have the bandwidth. I I was expecting going into that game, thinking it was going to be a near sellout because it's Oregon Washington. Um, I was expecting maybe them to, to to trot out the Husky team. Hey, they they leave on Friday. Let's let's send them off. Um, Give them a big standing ovation for their win. They did have the Sugar Bowl trophy there, which was present, which was awesome to see. Fans are taking photos of it. Um, but you showed up, and it was a very late-arriving crowd. I, I think there was less than 5,000 people there for at least the first half of the, of the game. Um, there were, the crowd was never into it until they took the lead by two points with, like, three minutes to go. But it never really got hostile. Um, it's going to be the easiest quad one road win that Oregon will face all season long from a, from a game environment because it was so stale. Like, and I understand, like, I get it. Like they, they've got a national championship to play for, but I was completely taken back of just how subdued the environment was. And if you're Oregon and if you're Dana Altman, you're probably saying, thank you. Hallelujah. This was, you know, it was a tough game for them. They didn't play their best basketball um, for long stretches of that game, and they continued to be without their two post players, uh, and they found a way to win, but it could have been a lot harder based on previous environments that have been there. And, uh, and look, that, I totally understandable when, when your team is football team is in a situation like this for playoff. The Huskies Monday will play for the national championship against Michigan. We're talking to Matt Prem. Oregon basketball is eleven and three. No Infali yep. Dante, no Nate Biddle, and I keep looking at Dana Altman, going, "Oh, just wait till he gets the big guys back." Um, what's your prognosis for those two guys? Which guy is more important? If you can only get one back, or get one back early, get one back late, what's what ideally happens for Oregon men's basketball? Uh, well, first of all, if you're on the fence and you're a Duck fan, jump on. This team's really damn good. They're really good, and it's been a couple of years. They're really fun to watch, and I think to answer your question, it's, it's Dante. Um, I don't think he fits as well from how they're playing right now, up-tempo, running it up and down the court, 
Um, a lot of it's four-man-out type stuff with one post player in the middle and, you know, with Kwame Evans and his, his development. Um, but Dante is a humongous human being. He is a very strong athlete, and there aren't a lot of players in college basketball that match up with his physicality and his size. And he is a very underrated player from a, from a passing perspective. Um, tremendous rebounder. I, I think he's a better post defender than Biddle. I think Biddle offensively fits what Oregon is doing right now in games of a lot of outside in type offense. Um, they shoot more threes right now than they did game one with Dante on the floor. Um, but B- Biddle's not as tough of a defender. He he is he is a, a a face up big man, and he likes to play, and he's really good on the perimeter. Um, I think Dante's the better defender. And a game like last night was when you really needed a player like Dante because in the first half they could not shoot the basketball well. At one point they were like one of sixteen on jump shots, uh, and that one shot that they made was their first one of the game. So they went like 15 straight misses on jump shots in the first half. Um, everything was at the rim. They didn't have that low post guy that they could just throw the, the ball down to on the block. And he attract double teams or Dante, you know, backs his man down and dunks it. So I, I think the answer is Dante. Um, he's probably the one that comes back soon. Dana said last night that uh, they hope to get somebody back next week against California. Uh, they only have one game next week. Uh, and so it's a long week or before they play the, the Golden Bears at home on a Saturday night. Um, Dante's the one that's progressing a little earlier than Biddle. I think they're at, at, at some point they're going to get both back. Um, but this team is this team's really good. And I think they're, they've got players that fans can connect to with a couple Oregonians currently that are freshmen playing. Mookie Cook made a debut last night. I was really impressed with just, his maturity that he's when he spoke with us for all of 90 seconds, but just of his awareness of where he's at and how he fits into this team and what he wants to bring to the, to the team. It, it was pretty, you don't, he was old. He, he talked and acted older than a typical true freshman. Um, we know about J- Jackson Shellstead. I think, I think Kwame Evans is, is a freshman that's really blossomed. And quite honestly, like when Biddle gets back, like, I, I don't know how you start Biddle over, over Kwame right now. Um, you, you you probably bring Biddle off the bench a la what Dana did that final four year with Jordan Bell when he got hurt. Um, Bell ended up being a, a sixth man until Boucher got hurt and was done for the season. Um, Jermaine Cousinard is that sixth-year senior, fifth-year senior, excuse me, that's just a wily vet and is making big shots. He scored the game winner last night really, you know, good passer. And then Brennan Rigsby and and Cario Aquindo are two different guys that I think fans can, can really gravitate towards because a, they jump out of the gym that both of them are just incredibly awesome athletes. And Rigsby has turned himself into a really good three point shooter. I think he's like 45%. um, And he's approaching Mathis levels of of where it's like if he's open and he sets his feet, it's almost automatic. Uh, I I I'm I'm all in on this team. Uh, that might not be a surprise to some people that that know my coverage of Oregon basketball, but I think if they get Dante back here next week, 
they stay healthy the rest of the season, um, they have the door is wide open for them to win the league. And I didn't think I would say that, but Arizona's beatable. There's no one in this league that that you you can't look at and say like Oregon just has absolutely zero chance to hang. Um, and we'll find out here in the next couple weeks. Like they they go to the Mountain Schools uh, in a couple weeks. That will be a big test. They get Arizona at home the end of the month the month of January, and then they go down to the LA schools uh, the first week of February. And if they emerge out of this run with uh, seven and one, seven and two type record, they're going into February with the league title up for grabs and they'll be a player for it. Matt, I appreciate your expertise. It's going to be fun to watch basketball season unfold. I agree with you. It's wide open and, uh, wish you a happy new year. I think I don't think it's too late to say that, and I appreciate what you do, man. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate it, John. Happy new year to you guys as well. There he is, Matt Prem, 24-7 Sports. I want more of your phone calls. Gary in Portland's been holding, along with some others, 503-417-7575. Get your calls in before Monday's national championship game. Punch it audio still ahead. 5 o'clock hour, Christian Capel. Covers Washington football. We'll get his take on the game, the X's and O's. Are you still on the fence as it pertains to who you think is going to win the game? Christian Capel may change your mind in the 5 o'clock hour. we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, we've got football game on Monday, national title game, NFL winding towards the playoffs. Pat McAfee and ESPN. It's really weird what's going on with Pat McAfee and ESPN. Uh, Steven, you and I were talking a little bit about that off air. We'll take some phone calls here in a second. So if you're holding, I'm getting to you here. But Pat McAfee going at ESPN. It appears as though, um, you know, there's some people at ESPN who are not happy about um, McAfee's show and they don't see it as a fit. But uh, McAfee accusing ESPN executives of sabotaging his show. He named Norby Williamson went after him and said, you know, he's basically he's a saboteur. Uh, what do you make of that, Stephen? What do you make of what's going on there? Yeah, it was kind of a weird fit, right, when McAfee took, you know, took the offer at ESPN besides him just wanting to get the money out of it. Because of the way ESPN runs their business, is, you know, there's been a lot of people that have been, you know, let go by ESPN for speaking out on their opinions, and McAfee is very opinionated. You know, however you want, however you like him or you don't like him, he's opinionated, he's got, he's got you know, a big, strong fan base, so... When that partnership happened, it seemed a little weird, and now it seems like ESPN is trying to look for a way to get out of the McAfee contract, whether the ratings are bad, maybe it's just the fit, whatever it is. It looks like somehow ESPN is trying to get out from under Pat McAfee with all maybe the uh, Aaron Rodgers stuff that's happening, all this kind of uh, you know controversy that his show is, is kind of brewing up. It's a weird situation, John. I mean... I, I think I like Pat McAfee because you know he speaks his mind and he, you know he's not really afraid to let it you know go after people. But it, you don't really see media people go after the bosses like this and go after executives and call them out by name on their show. So it'll be interesting to see what ESPN does uh, in in answer to this what Pat McAfee's done. I think he's thrown gasoline in a place where um, he shouldn't have thrown gasoline. I mean, if he's having a problem with ESPN's executives. He probably should have taken that up with the executives, but I, I just don't see how this goes well for Pat McAfee unless he thought he was. Uh, let me put some sunshine on this, and this will keep the ESPN executives honest and keep them from trying to undermine him. But he's definitely feeling something that, and and I picked it up. I got to be honest, I picked it up 
with watching some of the game day stuff, you can tell the other hosts on game day, they're all right with McAfee, but the game day show has changed so much because McAfee has become the centerpiece of it. I'm not sure that like Fowler, Herbstreet, Corso, the producers, it doesn't feel to me like everybody's on board with Pat McAfee. And, you know, it, we may be seeing a symptom of that in him reaching out and trying to blast his blast his bosses. That doesn't go well. Yeah, and McAfee just has a different energy about him, right? Like, not everyone's going to like the what he does and how he goes about his business. So it's one of those things where if you like him, you really like Pat McAfee. But if you don't like him, you hate that guy. And it's not in between. There's not a lot of people that are like, yeah, he's fine. He's okay. Like, I can, you know, I can listen to him and I don't care. It's usually either you love him or you hate him. So... He's very polarized in that situation. Let's go to the phone lines. 503-417-7575. Washington playing Michigan on Monday. Gary's in Portland. Gary's been holding for a bit. Wants to weigh in on that. Go ahead, Gary. Hey, John. Uh, former basketball player here from the 80s. So I've been hating these Huskies for about 40 years now. <laughs> uh, no real Duck fan should ever be rooting for the Huskies. I mean, I've tried it over the years. Every time there was like a big non-conference game, and I'm like, okay, I got to root for the conference. I got to root for the Huskies. I just can't do it. I mean, it just doesn't work for me. Um, I don't drink grape juice. I don't like Barney, that, that purple dinosaur. I, I can barely listen to Prince. Uh, I'm going blue. Go Michigan. Can't stand Huskies. Don't do it. Yeah, and, and you know, I'll tell you this. Gary in Portland – He's channeling what Softy was spilling earlier. I think there's a lot of people who are saying this is a win for the Pacific Northwest. It would be good for the reputation of the Pac-12 conference as it uh, you know dissolves and then is reborn, and you know, but good for the Pacific time zone. But there is an element of hearing Softy kind of gloat about Washington being in the title game, and there's an element there that I think Duck fans are going to go, "Hey, we're going to have to deal with this." And deal with the Washington fan going, look at the O on your field. It represents a zero for zero national titles. Well, it's good for me. That's all that matters, baby. Good for softies. It's good for us. I mean, I was rooting hard against Oregon when they made the championship game. Big wow. time. Uh, I, I wanted nothing to do with Oregon winning a national championship. And I hope Oregon fans feel the same way. I mean, I don't want Oregon fans rooting for Washington. And they don't want me rooting for them. This is exactly the way it should be. Let's 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 carry this rivalry, John, with us to the Big Ten. The nastiness, the animosity, the hatred, the history of this rivalry between UW and Oregon. I don't want this to die in the Big Ten. I don't want UW to start becoming a rival of Nebraska or Penn State or Ohio State. I don't want Oregon to do the same thing with Michigan. I want to carry this nastiness, which I think is great for the game. It's great for business. It's great for sports. Uh, let's carry this with us to the Big Ten. So if you're an Oregon fan and you're rooting for Washington on Monday night, shame on you. And that's coming from a Husky fan, by the way. There you go. Softy basically throwing the gauntlet down. Maurice is in Portland. Maurice, uh, where do you stand on this issue? Hey, John. Um, I've been an Oregon fan since the Bilotti days with Harrington and everything. And... Um, if I'm being honest, uh, you know, I'm rooting for Washington and Penix Jr. I think that we all know, you know, the history in this country when it comes to uh, blacks and, and athletics and stuff, uh, especially, you know, in particular with the quarterback position with football. So I'm rooting for Penix and I'm rooting for Washington. But even even 
besides that, I've honestly never really felt like Washington and Oregon were big-time rivals. I've always mm-hmm. felt like the Ducks' rivals were more like USC and Oregon State. And I would even put Stanford and Cal ahead mm-hmm. of, um, you know, Washington Huskies as our rivals. You know, so I never really – I didn't. I never really felt like Washington is a big time rival of the Ducks, especially compared to like USC, Oregon State, Stanford, Cal. You know, so I'm rooting Soft- for for Penix Jr. In, in Washington. Softy would have lost his mind, Maurice, if he heard that. But I, 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 I love Michael Penix Jr.'s game. I have to be honest, and I was really dismayed with the Heisman vote. I have a Heisman vote. I put Penix on top. I had Jaden Daniels second. I put Bo Nix third. I'm not a homer. I, I recognized Jaden Daniels had a great year. But Michael Penix Jr. beat Bo Nix head-to-head twice. And I my eyes don't lie. I watched the kid play. I watched Jaden Daniels play. I don't think people in the SEC footprint who were voting saw Michael Penix Jr. play until they saw the Sugar Bowl. And then they went, oh, wow, he's really good. Mine should have voted for him. Um, I think Penix is the best player in the game. Don's in Beaverton. Don, go ahead. I kind of agree with you. Penix is one of the purest passers in this in college. He spins the ball very good. He's not flashy. He's just in the pocket, throws dimes, and very good at you know recovered, you know when in deep passes and stuff like that. But I'm telling you, man, when it comes to this game coming up, I really think that Michigan is going to really put the stomp on Penix because they got. Safeties and quarterbacks that are very good. They're second in the nation in defense, pass defense, only behind Ohio State. According to Joe Clack, it's not even going to be close. I think Michigan is going to blow them out. Wow. I, I, I don't see it that way. And maybe it's because I've watched Washington all year. And I thought Oregon was going to blow out Washington in the conference title game. I just think it's the way Washington plays. Panics can get you in and keep you in and win ball games because of the way he plays. Now, Stephen, you like Michigan. You still like Michigan? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I do like Michigan. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, I, I like this Washington team. There's no doubt about it. Michael Penix Jr. is the best quarterback and maybe even the best player in this game. But I think this defense that Washington's going to go up against is going to be the by far the best defense that they've played as well. And we've seen Michigan all season long not give up those big plays, and that's what Washington wants to do. They want to have the big play. And I think with the uncertainty of Dylan Johnson, even Softy alluded to it, like he's going to play, but who knows how effective he's going to be. I think it's going to be very, you know, uh, just pass heavy. And I think Michigan can really kind of sit back and know that a lot more passes are going to be coming where, you know, the last half of the year, Washington's offense had been almost 50-50 running the ball, passing the ball. So I think Michigan is going to be able to stop them a little bit better than other teams on on the defensive side. And then I think offensively, Michigan should be able to run the football on Washington, and I think that they're going to do that. They're going to shorten the game, shorten the amount of possessions, leave Penix off the field, and then put a lot more pressure on Michael Penix's score when he has to get in the game. Yeah, I'm just – I'm I watched the Alabama game, and I think where Alabama got in trouble was first half – it appeared that Alabama thought they were going to be able to take five-step drops and keep you know, their quarterback, Jalen Milrose, in the pocket and let him throw the ball, and they couldn't do that. And in the second half, Alabama went, okay, three-step drops, roll them out, let's get the ball out of his hands faster, let's run the football, and Alabama got control of the game for a spell of about you know, 15 or 20 minutes. 
felt like Alabama was a better team and going to win the game, and it got away from them in the end. I'm I was not impressed with Michigan offensively. I was I think Michigan's defense is good, but I also think you're dealing with a different animal here. Three NFL receivers and an NFL quarterback. I think it's going to be a game of seven on seven, but let's see how that unfolds. Let's go to Scott, who's in Portland. Scott, welcome to the conversation. Hey, I just wanted to uh, say on the uh, rivalry and stuff like that, I did go to the Vegas game and stuff like that, and the fans for the Washington Huskies, we sat on the Washington side, unfortunately. They were so obnoxious. But when Oregon was ahead for a short period of time, they were quiet. But then they became obnoxious again. My point is, as an Oregon fan, I do not want to root for the Huskies. But if they do win, I don't want to be one of those salty persons. I want to, I'm want i going to go ahead and clap for them and say, good job. At least the Pac-12 won. And that's what I really had to say. Appreciate that. Appreciate the phone call. I think people are all over the place a little bit. I I think um, I I've seen the range of re- emotions, responses. I wonder when the game kicks off. You know, sometimes you go into a game, you think you won't root for a team. When the game kicks off, like it's not like you're rooting for. You know, you have Tulane playing Washington. You've got Michigan. This is like you know, if you root for Michigan, you're rooting for U.S. Steel, like the Yankees, the Dallas Cowboys. That's Michigan. Dave's in Vancouver. Dave, what do you say? Hey, so uh, when I heard Softy was going to be on, I texted a friend that I work with. Uh, he's a duck honk. And I'd like to read the text messages he sent back to me. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. I said, Softy's going to be on, blah, blah, blah. He said, vomit. That dude is absolute crap. He's everything wrong with college football. And then the next text. Then again, he's the perfect embodiment of the hundreds of, excuse me, of the hordes of the crappy winners and sore losers that that entire fan base is. And I said, I can't even respond to that. And he said, there is no response. I'd rather give up college football entirely and watch French men's tennis than be part of that truly miserable fan base. That's a lifetime of real in-person endless stories of crappy UW fans. They never disappoint. And I said, man, can I read it on the radio? He said, go for the gold. That'd be hilarious. If we had a duck equivalent of Softy, I'd bash on him too. There you go. Uh, yeah, the the best part of the interview for me was Softy. First of all, it was highly entertaining to just hear his emotion. But at the end of the interview, when he says, the Washington players are coming, Stephen. I think he says, oh, I got to go. The Washington players are coming out. He's a fan in that moment. And he's like, oh, I got to go. I got to run. My parents are home. I got to run. Uh, that, to me, was the best part of the interview. Yeah, like, you know, he's seen all these players. He's talked to these players, but he has to see them go off, right? Like, he, he can't miss this moment because if he does, it's just like, oh, man, I, I'm gonna can't, I can't live with myself. So it was pretty funny in that moment, you know, because he was uh, talking how much he just loves the team, and then he sees him. He's like, I got to go, John. Can't talk to you. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, right. I got to run. All right. We're going to play Punch It Audio. Five o'clock hour, Christian Capel will be joining us. Covers uh, the Washington football team. The five at five uh, coming up top of the hour as well. Leave it here. We've got great sound today. I want to hear all of it. I want to get to it. 
Let's do it. Punch it audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Pete Carroll and the Seahawks need some help this weekend. They need to win at Arizona. Could happen. And they need Green Bay to lose to the Bears in order for the Seahawks to make the playoffs. Here come the Seahawks. Trying to get into the postseason once again. Here's Pete Carroll punching. A lot heading towards this game uh, of great importance to us. We want to play really good football. We want to finish this thing on a good note in the regular season and see what happens. Everybody always wants to talk about, you know, you looking at the scores and all that. We're not, we're not even talking about that. It means nothing to us right now. Uh, we got a game we got to play and we got to get focused to do it right. It's kind of the same position that they were in last season. You know, they don't have control of their destiny and they need some help. But they need to win. They need Green Bay to lose or tie. And uh, ties are rare, by the way, in the NFL. So they need Green Bay to lose. Here come the Seahawks, though. But it's it's interesting to me because normally I would have expected the way that the Seahawks were drafting, the Russell Wilson draft picks, the fact that last year was, hey, it felt like it was gravy. It was a bonus that they made the playoffs. This year feels a little bit different to me, and I don't know if it's just because it's the same result a year later, but I'm looking at, you know, the Seahawks season, and I'm thinking, you know, if you're a Seahawks fan, yeah, you're you're stuck in the same position that you were a year ago, and it feels like the franchise is, I don't want to say they stalled because it isn't. It's not a stall. It's more like, you know, down the stretch, week 11, they lose to the Rams. Week 12, they lose to the Niners. Week th- 13, they lose to the Cowboys. Week 14, they lose again to the Niners. It, you know, outside of the Eagles-Titans run, it's um, it's been rough for the Seahawks down the stretch. So let's see what they do. Do they make the playoffs or not? Steven, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I think, uh, I think a miraculous happens. I think the Bears beat the Packers, and I think the Seahawks beat the Cardinals. So I think uh, I think the Seahawks get in. So difficult, Phil. To, to look at the it's like a bowl game in college football who's who's going to show up to play in week 18 dana altman of the ducks last night uh they beat washington jermaine cousinard game-winning shot big shot he was very effective for the ducks last night in seattle as they beat the huskies 11 and 3 oregon this season here's how it sounded punch ran a little set there we wanted him to drive it at the basket and try to make the play and uh he just went all the way and Made a tough shot. Brooks was on him, and it was a tough shot. But you know, that's he had he had a good game. When he was on the floor, we were a lot better team. They're going to take it all the way down here, and it's Kuznard on Brooks. Kuznard beats him, and the Ducks win it on Kuznard's drive. Big two-point victory for the Ducks in Seattle. They'll go to Pullman tomorrow. Looking for a sweep. Dana Altman just a couple days ago on this show said that he thought the the Colorado-Utah back-to-back was the most difficult. Colorado got blown out by Arizona last night. And so we'll see uh, if that holds up. But Oregon looks really good right now. And they don't have their big guys. No Infali Dante. No Nate Biddle. But, man, do they look good. Bill Belichick of the Patriots playing out this season. Tom Curran 
saying that Belichick doesn't know if he's coming back next year. Unfamiliar territory for the Patriots coach. Punch it. But the interesting thing, and I spoke to somebody on the staff uh, yesterday, they said one of the most remarkable things about this has been Bill's consistency. He has shown not one inkling of drama. He hasn't blinked a bit. He hasn't mentioned it. The staff is completely in the dark. And given the Kraft family has not yet spoken with Bill Belichick, our buddy Mike Reese reporting that Monday is when the conversation will take place, Bill's in the dark. So as of this time, there's no conversation held, which to me, it seems really hard, Russ, doesn't it, to sit down on Monday and start trying to figure out how the best way to move forward is if you're going to keep Bill. It feels more and more like he's not coming back to me. It kind of just feels like, hey, they've done what they can do. Might be a time for a change. But does it feel like he's going to go somewhere else then? Yes. I don't think he can do anything else but coach football. I think he's one of those guys. Pat McAfee, we talked about this earlier, but I want you to hear it in his words. He says some at ESPN are trying to sabotage his show. The ESPN folks are being very hospitable. Now, there are some people actively trying to sabotage us from within ESPN. More specifically, I believe Norby Williamson is the guy who is attempting to sabotage our program. I'm not 100% sure. That is just seemingly the only human that has information, and then somehow that information gets leaked, and it's wrong, and then it sets a narrative of what our show is, and then are we just going to combat that from a rat every single time? I don't know, but like somebody tried to get ahead of our actual ratings release with wrong numbers 12 hours beforehand. That's a sabotage attempt, and it's been happening basically this entire season from some people who didn't necessarily love the old edition of the Pat McAfee show to the ESPN family. Sure. There's a lot of those. I don't know if McAfee realizes that what he's doing here, I think, I think there's more downside than upside. I think if there are somebody SPN trying to sabotage his show, the point being like, you know, if you, yeah, you need support of your bosses, but McAfee's got a contract and they've invested a ton of money in him. Are they trying to unwind it or is this just some people at ESPN that, you know, aren't totally on board what he's doing with what he's doing? Ultimately, I think, um, you know, if he has that much confidence in his show, he knows that he can take his show anywhere, YouTube another network, and have success with it. I don't think you should be worried. I don't think you can do a show and, and sit around fretting about what, oh, what, are the, what support do I have and don't I have, and just do your damn show. And if it's a good show and uh, the executives in, in, in the, uh, and the audience are going to eat it up. Uh, I, just, uh, I think this is the most un-Pat McAfee thing ever to come out and try to put some sunshine on the naysayers. Keep him honest, so to speak, because I, I just think there's tremendous downside there, and it makes him look insecure. Coming up, the five at five. Stephen's going to give us the five biggest stories in sports. Plus, we'll get a visit from Christian Capel, who covers the University of Washington football team. He is already on the ground in Houston. He's going to set the scene for us, tell us what's going on there, what he expects. Is Dylan Johnson going to play or not? Is that a big factor? We'll find out all of that coming up in the five o'clock hour. Leave it here. Welcome to the happy hour here on this great Friday, January the 5th. Here we go. Uh, Steven's going to give us the 5 at 5. On Monday, I will be in Houston. I will be calling into my own show. 
3 o'clock hour, 4 o'clock hour, 5 o'clock hour. We will light it up. We will talk about Washington. We will talk about Michigan. I will set the scene. It'll be like you have an insider who is at the stadium. Call it into the show. I'll let you know what I see, what I hear. Maybe uh, we'll pop somebody on the show as a guest. Who knows what will happen on Monday's show. But I'll be right there at uh, Energy Stadium where Washington and Michigan will be playing for the national championship. Steven's going to give us the 5 at 5. We will uh, talk with Christian Capel, who covers Washington football. Objectively covers him. He's not like Softy, who uh, signed off at the end of his interview. Did you catch how he signed off? If you want to listen to the interview, it's highly entertaining. Grab the podcast. But here's how he signed off. If I were an Oregon fan whatsoever, man. So, listen, i got to run, pal. The team is coming out right now. There's a bunch of people out here waiting. Uh, I know they're not here for me, but i got to go, and let's talk soon, okay? All right. I'll see you in Houston. Try to get some sleep. Right. You bet. Thanks, man. Right. There goes Softy. i got to go. i got to run. Players are coming out. <sighs> Steven, you got the 5 at 5. You all fired up for it? I'm fired up, man. All right, let's see how you do. Uh, Anna taking the day off from the 5 at 5. I don't know how I feel about that, but let's do it. The 5 at 5. Number 1. What do you got? Well, we touched on it a little bit. Uh, last segment, ESPN has actually put out an official apology for what Aaron Rodgers said on the Pat McAfee show earlier about Jimmy Kimmel uh, when Rodgers said, quote, he was really hoping that Kimmel lands on the Jeffrey Epstein client list. <laughs> Hope that, uh, and Kimmel hopes that doesn't come out. Uh, senior Vice President of ESPN, Mike Foss, he put out a statement saying Aaron made a dumb and factually inaccurate joke about Jimmy Kimmel. It should never have happened. We all realized that in the moment. Uh, Kimmel, of course, has responded on Twitter saying he may seek legal action. But, John, this beef started all the way back in 2021 when Kimmel was making fun of Aaron Rodgers about getting COVID. Remember that? The, uh, whole Aaron Rodgers COVID thing, uh, not getting vaccinated, has continued since then. And then also another Aaron Rodgers news, he was uh, voted most inspirational player on the Jets this season, uh, <laughs> having played four snaps. <laughs> oh, it's too much. And that um, was voted on by the players. The players voted him most inspirational. I thought it was interesting seeing that uh, Jimmy Pataro, who is head of ESPN, had to reach out to Jimmy Kimmel to smooth things over. And you don't, you know, everybody knows Disney, ABC, ESPN, Kimmel Show, uh, you know, ESPN throwing Pat McAfee on. This is just not good. This is not good. This is not good controversy. And it, it makes the ESPN house look a little bit divided. Although he did get a vote of confidence from the big boss who said, hey, um, you know, we trust him to make decisions and make the right decisions. But it would be interesting to see, like, if, if uh, Pat McAfee has learned anything this week. I don't think he has. I think he kind of is who he is, but we'll see. Number two. We now know where former Duck quarterback Ty Thompson will be playing football next season. Uh, of course, the four, former four-star will be at Tulane next year. Thompson tweeted that out as he's committed to the green wave. Tulane, they're losing their quarterback, Michael Pratt, to the NFL. Uh, Tulane has gone 23-5 and five the last two seasons. They have a brand-new coach, John Simmerall. He is from Troy, but it looks like Ty Thompson going to be playing in the American Conference. Uh, and uh, according to Twitter, what I saw from, from some of the fans, he is the highest recruited player ever to commit there, uh, wow. going back to when he was a freshman. 11-3 and three this season, Tulane. Beat USC two years ago in a bowl game. That's a good program. I think um, 
you know, to be fair to Ty Thompson, we never really got to see him in any kind of extended role at Oregon. And I know that a lot of people wanted to see him, but it's just not the way that Oregon is cycling through quarterbacks these days. They're not developing anybody. And, you know, they've sort of picked a path and said, we're going to go into the portal. We're going to get a Bo Nix. We're going to go into the portal. We're going to get a Dylan Gabriel. Yes, there's a Dante Moore, you know, in the background of this conversation. But I still, I, I, I don't blame Oregon for doing what it's doing. It's going with an experienced, proven commodity. It's playing the transfer portal game. Ideally, yeah, I would like to get to know some players and see them develop and grow. And, you know, hey, next year they're going to take a big step forward. That That's part of college football. I miss that. But I understand what Oregon's doing. But doesn't, and, isn't the interesting part that they went out and they went out and they got Dante Moore? Like, doesn't that say what you need to know what they thought of Ty Thompson? Yeah, it does. And Thompson saw the writing on the wall. Uh, you know, most of the time quarterbacks do see it and they'll do what, you know, about what they expect we expect them to do. But I just never got to see Ty Thompson. Like, you know, we never got to see him start a game, finish a game, play a couple games in a row. We never got to see what he was. So I'm excited to see him at Tulane. Number three. John, we all know the NFL is king. And today, according to Sports Business Journal, uh, they confirmed why they are king. The NFL accounted for 93 of the top 100 most-watched programs last year. Uh, that number breaks the record, which was the previous year, of 82. So they topped wow. that by a lot. Seven of the top 10 most-watched programs were NFL playoff games. The NFL had 24 of the top 25 spots on the list. The only thing that did not was not an NFL game. Top 25 most-watched program was the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. The only other ones that weren't sports-related was the State of the Union Address by Joe Biden, which was number 37, the Academy Moore Awards at 63, and then the Thanksgiving Day Parade at 23. Uh, college football accounted for three of the top 100. Ohio State-Michigan, the SEC Championship game between Alabama and Georgia, and the Georgia-TCU College Football Playoff title game were all in the top 100. But uh, the NFL breaking all the records, 93 of the top 100 most-watched programs, NFL football. I think it says something about the way that we watch – um, television as well. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of times now, if we're not wa- if I'm not watching live sports programming, um, I'm watching something that I'm streaming, and the ratings aren't going to work quite the same way when it comes to those streaming programs. And I, so I kind of think, um, I think that the reason why we're seeing more of the top shows that way, I think that has to do with that. But I also think, gosh, what an indictment of the college uh, college landscape and and I get it like there's just more appeal there's broader appeal when it comes to NFL games but also what an indictment on other sports you know the World Series or the NBA and all yeah. these other sports I mean the NFL is just completely dominated and we've seen this now the NBA always kind of took over Christmas well now the NFL is going to take over Christmas we've seen you know college football try to take over different days the NFL if they want to they can just put their games on Saturday and they might crush the college football you know games it, it's just one of those things where the NFL can't be stopped right now I don't know what would ever stop the NFL from wanting to just completely dominate the ratings I think too um you know later in the show maybe I'll give a couple of uh couple of shows that I'm streaming that have nothing to do with sports but I'll say right now like if you put on an a college football game that's that I have no connection to or no work reason to be watching. Okay, let's just say um, it's going to be um, Rutgers is playing Maryland in a Big Ten game, and you put an NFL game. Jacksonville's playing the Tennessee Titans. I'm going to watch the NFL game. It's not close. How about you? 
Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, unless I have money on the other game, but yeah, if it's if it's everything's equal, we're going the NFL, and I think that's just because the product's going to be that much better. The players are that much better. Um, and to go to your point earlier, like talking about just live events. I mean, really, besides sports, there's not many live events we have to watch anymore because everything is streaming, or you can watch it the next day. Even you know stuff like uh, you know the president or you know debates or State of the Union, you can watch that literally the next day, and it's still going to be relevant. Where sports, you know, people are always talking right at the moment. So it's one of those things you kind of got to watch right away. There's a show on Amazon right now called The Peripheral. It's a sci-fi uh, series. It's based on a, a novel about, um, you know, people, virtual reality and simulation. And, you, you know, the central character is transported 70 years into the future where there's been like a pandemic and a, uh, you know, population uh uh, decrease that is massive, and I, I'm way into that. But if you put an NFL game on, I'm not watching the peripheral. But check out the peripheral; it's pretty good. Moving on to our fourth number four. Little local news here: uh, Hillsborough Hawks. They have put out a press release and announced today that they'll be having a press conference on January 9th. Uh, the press conference is going to be about how the Hops need uh, has until march 15th of this year to secure 15 million dollars in state funding for a new city-owned ballpark it's essential to keeping the hops in hillsborough if they cannot get it if they cannot secure that money uh the hops will no longer have a home in hillsborough by march 15th so that will uh, be a press conference on january 9th but they put out a statement today uh getting us ready for that there'll be there'll be a lot of speakers uh including hops president and general manager kl wambacher he will be speaking at that press conference I kind of feel like we need to get K.L. Wambacher on the show and talk about, you know, essentially what is going on. Get him on the show. When this ballpark project was announced, you know, I was under the impression that the city of Hillsborough, the community of Hillsborough, taxpayers, um, the baseball people involved were all on the same page. So if they're not on the same page, this is interesting. This is supposed to be a $120 million deal. The city of Hillsborough was supposed to put in $18 million. Um, but you know, there's apparently a, a shortfall of about 15 mil that needs to be made up. And let's let's face it, we don't have Major League Baseball here. And I and I you know and I I plan to do some reporting on that front. I do think there's some movement on the baseball front. The A's are having trouble in Vegas. Turns out that the the bill of goods that they were sold in Vegas isn't all that it appeared to be. But the Hillsborough Ops have, have done a nice job putting on a product that is a quality product in Hillsboro. So I, I hope they can get it together. I hope that facility improves because it doesn't just it doesn't just support the hops. It supports Portland State, who uses the uh, venue and the venue that's adjacent to it. There's a potential here to bring other events, concerts, different kinds of things out to uh, Hillsboro and out to that ballpark uh, project. Number five. Former Paralympic star Oscar Pistorius, he has been released on parole today nearly no way nearly he got out he got out 11 years after murdering murdering his girlfriend Reva Steenkamp uh in a statement shared by the Steenkamp family lawyer Reva's mother June said quote there could never be justice if your loved one is never coming back and no amount of time served will bring Reva back in quote wow. um so Pistorius is out uh the the family was hoping that Pistorius would serve a life sentence obviously he did not Pistorius is now 37 years old. He spent about eight and a half years in jail, as well as seven seven months under house arrest before he was sentenced for the murder. A parole board in November decided he could be freed after completing more than half his sentence. 
There will be a monitoring official that will keep an eye on Pistorius yeah. uh, until his sentence expires in December of 2029. Pistorius will have to uh, inform that person about job opportunities, moving, all that sort of good thing. And then Pistorius also will be required to continue therapy on anger management and attend sessions on gender-based violence as part of his parole conditions. But Pistorius is out of jail. Well, like, I am all about, like, our criminal justice system and prisons, incarceration, being about reforming people and, you know, uh, making sure that uh, people who are who are uh, thrown in jail, thrown in prison, you know, better themselves and, and come out and can be productive members of society. But there's some crimes where I just can't wrap my head around 11 years after murdering his girlfriend, he's going to go free. He served half of his 13-year sentence. Like, you know, he, he just served half of the sentence. And, and that whole trial, people may remember Oscar Pistorius as the first W amputee to run in the Olympics. But six months after that, you know, Reva Steenkamp is in the bathroom hiding from him. He shoots and kills her. He claims he mistook her for a burglar in the middle of the night. He's convicted of murder. Um, he should have served the full sentence. I, I'm not comfortable with this. And uh, I don't, uh, you know, I, reading about his incarceration, you know, he, he drove a tractor in the prisoner prison. He worked in the library, cleaned cells. That's fine. But um, I feel for uh, Reva Steenkamp's family and her mother, June. You read her statement there. No justice for Reva in this thing. And um, this guy, uh, th you know, there were, I, I watched the news reports and the documentary and everything that was done on, on uh, this story. You know, this guy was known as Blade Runner in the Paralympics. And, you know, he ran, or in the, you know, he ran in the Olympic Games. But ran in the Paralympics as well. And it was like you watched the this, this story with he and Riva, and you understood that there were, there were some elements of domestic violence, some undertones definitely of domestic violence that were involved in that thing. And I just can't imagine the terror that that woman felt as he was on the other side of the door. And here's, here is this celebrity guy, and he's got a gun, and he's shooting her through the door. It's just it's terrible. Terrible. She was 29. She was a law graduate. She was a model. She uh, had been on a reality television show, and her plan was to start a law firm to help abused women after she graduate. And here she is three months into this relationship, and he kills her through the door. And, oh, well, I guess good behavior. Uh, I don't, I'm not comfortable either with the terms of the parole. Like, he's got to continue to go to anger, anger management, like, if if that's even still a question, why is he getting out? Yeah, I shouldn't that have like been it. solved? Like that should have been part yeah. of the parole saying, yeah, he has learned from what he's done, not he's learning what he's done, what he did. Like we've got no doubt whatsoever. But you know, like when you look at the timeline, he get, his sentence was thirteen years and five months, and you know, uh, freed from prison seven years later. So I don't like it, and I don't like the. Uh, I don't like the message it sends either. Laws, the law here is failing a woman who was killed, and I, I don't like it. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to talk to Christian Capel. He covers the University of Washington football program. He's in Houston already. He's not at the stadium. He's not a fanboy. He's going to lay it out for us. 
He writes uh, for a site called onmontlake.com. Support his work, read him. But he's joining us next to talk about this season. If you caught it earlier, Softy from KJR joined us to talk about, um, you know, the the matchup and kind of dropped a doozy of a uh, statement during his interview in which I asked him, you know, could he, how should Oregon fans root in this game? And here's here's Softy saying uh, Oregon fans should not take solace in losing to Washington, and he doesn't want Oregon fans to root for Washington. Well, it's good for me. That's all that matters, baby. Good for Softy. It's good for us. I mean, I was rooting hard against Oregon when they made the championship game. Big wow. time. Uh, I, I wanted nothing to do with Oregon winning a national championship, and I hope Oregon fans feel the same way. I mean, I don't want Oregon fans rooting for Washington, and they don't want me rooting for them. This is exactly the way it should be. Let's, 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 let's carry this rivalry, John, with us to the Big Ten. The nastiness, the animosity, the hatred, the history of this rivalry between UW and Oregon, I don't want this to die in the Big Ten. I don't want UW to start becoming a rival of Nebraska or Penn State or Ohio State. I don't want Oregon to do the same thing with Michigan. I want to carry this nastiness, which I think is great for the game. It's great for business. It's great for sports. Uh, Let's carry this with us to the Big Ten. So if you're an Oregon fan and you're rooting for Washington on Monday night, shame on you. And that's coming from a Husky fan, by the way. There it is, Softy saying, shame on you if you're rooting for Washington, if you're an Oregon fan. I don't agree with him, but we'll hear from Christian Capel next. Softy from KJR was with us earlier in the show. He said this. Oregon fans may sit back and go, hey, we played them tougher than anybody. Twice. Those games probably could have gone either way. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, I think I think there is that one little thing you can have in the back of your mind that at least we lost to the best team in college football, but that, that would not give me any comfort whatsoever if I were an Oregon fan whatsoever, man. There he is, softy laying down the gauntlet, also going on to say he does not believe Oregon fans should root for Washington. Not everyone agrees with that. Christian Capel, he's the guy when it comes to coverage of the Washington football program. What a journey it has been. You can read Christian Capel on Montlake.com. That's the website. If you really want to know what's going on with Washington football, Christian Capel has you covered. He has boots on the ground in Houston. He's joining us now. Set the scene for us, Christian. Yeah, so Washington, uh, I think their plane is scheduled to land here in just a little over an hour. In Houston, Michigan got in a little while ago, and you know, it's, it's interesting. It's not quite as much like media hoopla lead up as the semifinal because um, you play the semifinal and then the championship games in seven days. So there's a big media day tomorrow with players and coaches from both teams. And um, that's really it. You know, I think the head coaches will have a press conference Sunday and then you finally play the game. So um, I think most media and everybody kind of associated with the game getting into town today and and tomorrow's the big day to talk to these guys about what's going to happen on Monday and and two more days, and, and we finally get a, a, a thrilling conclusion to what has been a, uh, a pretty unprecedented season at Washington. The, you know, the readership that you have had, if we could just get inside kind of your the business of covering Washington football, I mean, this could not have broke better for a guy who was leaving the athletic, going out on his own. I mean, this is a magical run for a team 
but very fortunate for Christian Capel, man, who's covering this team. <laughs> yeah, it um, it hasn't been bad. That's definitely uh, that's definitely. Sh- I mean, you would you would think that even just if it if it were just that they were going to the Big Ten, right? Because that's an all time story. I mean, that's a that's one of the biggest news stories in the history of the program. Washington and, and Oregon together making the decision to lead the twelve to go to the Big Ten. And then they follow that up with a season that has them 14 and 0 and playing for a national championship. And it's been an especially interesting season to document just because it has been so dramatic. I mean, week in, week out, everybody knows by now they've won 10 straight games by 10 or fewer points. You have the amazing finish against Oregon in, in October in Seattle and then another one in Las Vegas for the conference title. And you've got a last second. Um, you know, field goal to win the Apple Cup thrown in there and a great game in Corvallis that they needed to convert a big first down at the end to win and, you know, pulling out a, a really close win against a bad Arizona State team and, and scoring 52 points at USC and the battle with Caleb Williams and all these things. I mean, it really kind of has been a, a it really kind of has been a storybook type of season for them. It's fun to watch Michael Penix Jr., National media seemed to uh, be surprised at what he did in the Sugar Bowl. You were not surprised. How is Penix handling, you know, the last couple of weeks? You've had a chance to interview him, see him after the game, after the Sugar Bowl. Where is his mind right now? Yeah, I mean, he seems as locked in as he's ever been. I know Kalen DeBoer said after the Sugar Bowl that he had called his own meeting with his teammates the night before and, it just kind of reminded everybody, hey, it's New Orleans and um, you know, New Year's Eve and all that, but to stay focused. And, um, you know, he he wants this as bad as anybody. This is what he came back to Washington for. And he's been their leader since he got here, really. You know, listening to Roger Rosengarten, their right tackle, talk about how detailed he is and focused he is at every, every little thing, from every walkthrough, every practice, and every meeting, and um, you know, holding people accountable too. That when a standard's not being met, you know, Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, has talked about that. That they there was a practice, I think, after the Pac-12 championship game when they were back in Seattle. That they, you know, he he really felt like the offense wasn't performing the way they wanted to, and didn't need to say anything because Michael Penix Jr. Was, was the one to step up and kind of call it out. So he's been that guy for them, you know, since I, I think since he he really took control of the job after getting there last year and. I mean, based on his play against Texas, it really seems like he's just operating at an even higher level. Christian Capel with us on Montlake.com. Health-wise, uh, Dylan Johnson's health has been a subject of conversation. Do you have an update there? Uh, can you read the tea leaves? You know Kalen DeBoer better than anybody. Yeah, I mean, it, they're talking like they expect him to play. I did um I'm in Houston, but I did see a video on Instagram, I think, of, of Dylan Johnson walking to the bus at their big team send-off um, on campus today, and he appeared to be walking fine. He was wearing slippers and, you know, no no boot or crutches or anything like that. So I, I think it's really been a matter of pain tolerance for him all year. He's battled a few different things. This most recent injury, I believe it's a foot injury, and I think it's the same one that he actually suffered at Oregon State. He got stepped on late in that game, and was limping around and really you had to gut through their, their next couple games playing with that. So it doesn't sound like there's any necessarily new damage to it or anything. I, I, I 
least based on what the board said, I kind of seems like it's just a matter of can he get through it, and he's played through every single thing so far. So I mean, he's the kind of guy that, you know, if, if he's upright and can move around, he's going to give it a go. The matchup of this game, what do you see? Because I can sit back and go, well, it's the Michigan ability to run the football against the Washington defense. How do you see this game, Christian? Like, what are the important factors as you see uh, as we head to Monday? Yeah, protect Michael Penix and get open downfield. Um, Similar to Texas, that was a unique challenge with their front seven, right? You don't see guys who look like Devondre Sweat in the Pac-12. You don't see guys who look like Devondre Sweat really just generally. I mean, he's a a very large human being. Um, But the battle against their deep line in their front seven, that was, you know, that was kind of unique. It was different. How are they going to match up against them? We don't really know. And they held up okay. Running the ball between the tackles, at least, was tough. But they protected Michael Penix really well and obviously got a lot done throwing the ball. I think Michigan is more consistent one through 11 throughout their entire defense. They've um, been really great against the run. They've been really great against the pass, but it's kind of a similar question for them. They haven't seen an offense like Washington's. They haven't seen a quarterback like Michael Penix Jr. So um, that's really the key matchup. Can they protect him as well as they did against Texas? Can he navigate the pocket as well as they did against Texas? And, you know, can they, can they, their receivers get the kind of separation and get open um, against a really good secondary to, uh, to get a lot done throwing the ball? Because I think it's, you know, even if you've got Dylan Johnson at something close to full strength or at least close to his, his full workload, um, I don't know that Michigan's defense is one that you want to line up and, and, and try to run the ball 25 times against. Yeah, and I think, you know, you look at the these two teams and the style of play, and can you learn anything from Michigan's game against Alabama that jumps out at you as you see the matchup of Washington now coming in against Michigan? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think they're a lot different stylistically. Um, obviously, Michigan got after Jalen Milrow quite a bit, but it seemed like there was some issues up front for Alabama um, that you know maybe Washington's O line is a little bit more sound that way. So, um, but yeah, you know, it's going to be a challenge, right? You, with Penix, you got to kind of got to pick your poison. How much do you want to blitz? Are you able to generate pressure with? you know, just your, your, your base front there. And um, if they're able to do that, that throws off a lot of things that Washington's trying to do, especially in the passing game. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think that was a very, a very different matchup. I think Alabama's a lot different team. Um, I, I'm not sure how much you can quite learn from that one, applying it to the chicken facing Washington. It's, it's a very contrasting style. I mean, it is a very interesting matchup. It's one that I kind of eyeballing it going into the, the playoff selection. I felt like a, a path where Washington faced Michigan was more ideal than Washington facing Alabama, um, just not having to deal with the, the running threat that Milrow is. But uh, it, it, it presents some challenges for sure. Give me an idea. Kalen DeBoer's contract status, contract extension, it's been really quiet, Christian. And I know Jen Cohen, the athletic director that hired him, now at USC, what is going on behind the scenes beyond the game here? Yeah, so I had a chance to speak with Troy Dannon, Washington's athletic director in New Orleans, and I mean, he basically made it seem like it's um, it, it, it's all but a certainty that once the season's over, they'll get it done. He seemed very confident in that timeline. Um, he said he doesn't have any concerns 
about the fact that it hasn't been signed and that it really just stems from Kalen DeBoer wanting to live in the moment and knowing that they're chasing a national championship and, and not wanting to really any amount of time away from that um, to deal with anything that, that doesn't have to do with them achieving that goal. So um, if you take that at face value, maybe there's not a lot of reason to be concerned, but I mean, until Penn gets put to paper and that thing's announced and you know, everybody's happy with the terms and, and it's locked up, there's going to be some, some cause for unease, especially, you know, as the NFL hiring cycle gets going and rumors fly about Jim Harbaugh and the NFL and is Michigan going to open and all these sort of things. So, um, that's uh, definitely something that UW fans have their eye on until it's done. Give me an idea of what you think is important to Kalen DeBoer, it, you know, framed by that converse, by the conversation we're having. Yeah, winning, winning football games, being in position to win at the highest level, I mean, being in position to have whatever it is they need to win. And I, that's something that Troy Dannon has talked about since day one, too, that his job is not just to – get contracts done and throw money at coaches, but it's it's to give them what they need to win. So that doesn't just mean paying Kalen DeBoer at a really high level, which of course they're going to have to, but continuing to invest in assistant salaries. I know Troy Dannon has really been adamant since he was hired about encouraging donors to contribute to NIL efforts. Um, and that's not something yet that the athletic department or the school can funds toward for, for various reasons, but, um, you know, they've been up front about they want to build that up and that, you know, coach retention you do through contracts and salaries and player retention you and recruiting you accomplish through NIL. Um, so, you know, I think he wants to, at least from my view, it seems like Troy Dannon is doing everything he can to send the message to Kalen DeBoer that like, hey, I've got you back, whatever it is you need. I'm going to be a champion for it. I'm going to go out and get it. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, encourage our, our money people to contribute to that cause. And um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a factor in all this too. We're talking to Christian Capel. You can read him on Montlake.com. All right. Give me the big picture. What does it mean for Washington, for the school, for the community, for the state, for the fans? What does it mean to be in this game? And what would a national title mean for the Huskies? Yeah, I mean, it would be everything, you know, and I was kind of caught my eye today. I had a, a reader send me a link to a tweet that the, the general University of Washington account put out, not the athletics, account, but just the regular campus account about the positive impact that a championship can have on the university as a whole and, you know, what it does for uh, admissions and applications and, you know, UW's own own news, UW News on Twitter tweeted out today that recent estimates say after a university's national championship appearance, applications for admission increased 10 to 27 percent. So you couple that with the fact that they're headed to the Big Ten, and part of the reason they made that move is, you know, for more national recognition and national exposure, it, it all goes hand in hand. I mean, it would be the absolute one thing that could, Know, launch them toward the, the sort of national notoriety that they're looking for, not just as a, a football program and an athletic department, but as a university too. I mean, it would it would really mean everything. They've never won an outright championship in football. It would, it would be a first. Christian, um, you know, as you look to this game, people forget Michael Penix threw for 430 yards and he gets a lot of the attention, but the game was ultimately won on defense. And we've seen, like the Arizona State game and some other games this year, 
that were won on defense. Can the Washington defense slow Michigan down enough for Penix to make that matter? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, you know, I think given a week to, to game plan and prepare for an offense that, you know, they, they kind of know what they want to do, right, run the ball right at them, I'm sure that's the challenge that they're issuing to that defense um, this week. A lot of times in the playing in the Pac-12, you know, you've heard the secondary, their defensive backs for years kind of talk about how, like, hey, the game's, the game's on us, the game's on us, because you see all these high-flying passing attacks and really good quarterbacks and offensive teams and coaches who want to throw the ball a ton. Um, and this is kind of the opposite of that. You know, maybe it's a, it's a little Utah-esque or it's Oregon State-esque where you know that you're going to be dealing with Damian Martinez carrying the ball a whole lot. And it's can you stop him and, you know, can you react to the, the play action and, and the shots that they build off of that in the passing game? And, you know, I'm not necessarily saying their, their offensive structures are exactly the same, but you know that Michigan's going to want to give the ball to Blake Corum a bunch and, um, you know, take their shots when, when it's there, but, you know, force them to, to stop that run game first. So Texas got something done that way. Seemed like maybe there was more to be had. Um, the game script, I think, called for them to a little more later because Washington put you know, got by a couple scores. But um, that's that's the big question, you know. Are you, are you going to be able to step up and kind of play that big boy brand of football on defense against a future Big Ten opponent to win a championship? The window here, you know, it feels like it's tied to Penix, right? He's going off to the NFL, got great receivers. There's really a win-now mentality anytime a team gets to a title game. But do you have a sense, if they can keep DeBoer in place, can Washington get back here? Can they get back here within a year or two? Can they be a regular playoff participant? How vital is it, in your mind, for Washington to take advantage of this opportunity, this window, and, and, you know, what does the future look like? Yeah, I mean, outside of, shoot, two, three, four programs, you really, when you're in the title game, got to feel like, when, when are you going to be back? You know, when are you going to have an opportunity like this? Nobody really knows. You know, again, unless you're a Georgia or an Alabama. I mean, even, you know, look at Clemson under Dabo Swinney that, they they won a couple titles and they can have ten win seasons and it just kind of feels like like they've taken a step back you know so it's it's so hard to get to that level and you know in the twelve team playoff era you're going to have to do even more damage in the postseason to get there and and play more games and all those sort of things so I definitely think the expectation is going to be that they should be either competing for or in the twelve team playoff going forward. Um, especially with, you know, assuming they do lock the bore up, they're going to be paying him a lot of money. They're going to be investing in football probably like they never have before. Expectations come along with that. So, um, you know, I I know Kalen DeBoer has a lot of experience coaching in the postseason from his, his Sioux Falls days and, um, you know, some battles with the same programs kind of over again. His track record is, is pretty good that way. So, I think he's proven, at least at lower level, he's a really good postseason coach. He's won a Pac-12 championship game and a college football playoff semifinal in Washington and, and a bowl game last season. So um, I think that they'll be the type of program that if they can get there, if they can get in the field, they'll probably always feel like they get a shot. Um, the transfer portal changes things too, right? I mean, they've already – reloaded at quarterback with Will Rogers. We'll see, you know, how he fits the system. They're going to be reloading with 
new receivers next year after having a, a pretty generationally talented crew this season probably going to lose a couple offensive linemen so yeah i mean next year is going to be kind of the test of okay where is this program at what does uh, a, a reload look like after a, a potential national championship season is it seven and five is it nine and three or are they going to be right back in that 12 team playoff um you know we'll, we'll kind of see next season uh what what does the the reload slash rebuild look like under Kalen DeBoer coming off of a, a year like this Christian, I appreciate you. I will see you there at the stadium. Do you have a game prediction? Who do you like? Do you have a score? Do you have a feel? Yeah, I, I've probably just seen Washington get it done too many times now to pick against them. So um, I picked them to beat Texas in a close one, and I'm probably just going to have them to beat Michigan in a close one. It just kind of seems to be what they do. There you go. I I uh, I think it's going to be the same as well. I think it'll be a one-score game. And how do you pick against Penix in that situation? Uh, Christian, I appreciate you, man. I will see you at the stadium. All right, thank you. We'll see you there. There it is. Christian Capel on Montlake.com. Steven, I want to kick this around. We will talk again on Monday. I'll be at the stadium. But I want to kick this around and, and talk about what it would mean is it all that bad for Oregon fans if Washington wins it all? Or is there a silver lining to it? I all of that coming up, plus your phone calls, 503-417-7575. What are your thoughts on Monday's national title game? What does it mean for Washington? What does it mean peripherally peripherally for Oregon? Leave it here. I appreciate everybody who listens to this show. Really, thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in if you called in today. Took a lot of great calls in the first hour. We had strong guests on the show. Um, Matt Prame, 24-7 Sports. Talked about um, talked about the Washington-Michigan game. Talked about the Oregon Ducks recruiting class, Dan Lanning. Talked about uh, Oregon and Washington in the Big Ten Conference last, uh, next season. That's what Matt, Matt believes. Look, I, I don't know about you, John. I think both Oregon and Washington, I, I think you could sell me on to a degree, USC and UCLA. They're going to run the Big Ten early on. Ohio State and Michigan are going to be good, but everybody else, they're slow. They're boring offensively. Uh, I think the defenses are inflated because of how poor the offenses are, and I think the West Coast speed is going to show up, and especially Oregon and Washington. Would not yeah, be surprised if they're if they're one and two next year in the league. Not be surprised, he says, if they're one and two in the Big Ten Conference. Meanwhile, Softy. KJR in Seattle, he believes Washington was built for this moment. They absolutely were built for this moment. The coaches say they're built for the moment, and it sounds like a cliche, but it really is their motto. I mean, it's worked, and they absolutely have been locked in this entire time. You know, I find it kind of funny that Michigan's talking about their brotherhood and how much they love each other and you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, every team feels like that, right? Alabama probably felt like that. Texas probably felt like that. But I just think in the end, the talent won out. I thought Washington had more talent than Texas did in that game on Monday. And honestly, John, I thought there was a point in time, a couple points in time during that game where I thought Washington was going to kick Texas's ass in that game. And it just never materialized because UW could just not get that one play, third and one, fourth and one, after the turnover. They could not get that one play to make that happen. But, dude, I cannot wait for Monday night. I am so freaking excited for Monday night. I don't know if I've ever been this excited for anything in my life for Monday. There it is. Uh, There's the range of emotion heading to Monday. And you just heard from Christian Capel 
who uh, laid it out as well. Stephen, um, you've made the case all week for Michigan, and I think it's an important case because that's a really good team that beat a good Alabama team to get to the title game. Do you still believe in the Wolverines? I do. Um, I am. I will say this. I am a little scared of this pick because of Michael Penix Jr., the way he looked in that first game, first semifinal against Texas, because he was not healthy. He was not healthy for a lot of the regular season, and that's when the Washington Huskies were playing a lot of close games against teams they shouldn't have played close games against. The Arizona State game, for instance, at Husky Stadium, that offense didn't score a touchdown. Like, think about that, John. That offense that went against Texas didn't score an offensive touchdown against Arizona State. Like, something was wrong with, you know, with Penix, with the other guys. They're hurt, sick, whatever it was. They're healthy now. Now the only injury for them is Dylan Johnson, it seems like, in the running game. But with Michael Penix Jr. healthy back there, yeah, I'd be afraid if I was Michigan. But I also think Michigan has been you know, one of the better teams all season long. And this defense, yes, I guess I know they haven't faced a you know, high-powered offense like Washington in the Big Ten. But what they do is they're going to limit big plays. And Jim Harbaugh has done that his entire career. They did that against Alabama. I know they made Jalen Milrow look really bad. And people now are saying Jalen Milrow you know, isn't a very good player. He's also the favorite to win the Heisman next season. So, like... Michigan has a really good defense. and They're going to have a game plan to go against Michael Penix Jr. I do think that Michigan on offense is going to be able to run the football on this Washington team. I still think this Washington defense is average at best. And if Texas had held on to the football and not fumbled, I think we might be saying a different story. And Texas is in the national championship game. So I think we're giving Washington a little too much credit because of the way Michael Penix was slinging it down the field and how impressive it looks, how awesome it is when it comes out of his hand in the air. But I think Michigan's just the better team overall. And it's going to be a close game. I think Michigan's going to pull it out. Who played better opponents this season? I mean, and I look at these schedules, It, I want to believe that the teams that Washington was playing, especially the two games against Oregon, um, you know, battle-tested. But, you know, I look over at Michigan, we're two 14-0 teams. It's not like they didn't play anybody. Who played the better schedule? I think that it's Washington. I, I think that you look at even, like, the Big Ten title game against Iowa. I don't think Iowa's a very good team. I think no. Ohio State was a little overrated all season long as well. And then same with Penn State when they played them. So I, I think you could argue that Washington definitely played the, the hardest opponents in Oregon, and they played them twice and beat them twice. So, yeah, I think Washington is going to be battle-tested. But I think Michigan, the way that they play, they're going to slow it down, and they're going to make it so Penix has a lot of pressure on him to score every single time he gets the football because there's not going to be a lot of possessions. I I really I really am hoping just for a good game, but I, I think that Michigan yeah. is going to be – very physical and going to be able to slow the game down enough to win this game. We're going to see. Michigan, uh, if you look at their season schedule, if we just go back and start the season, it started uh, with East Carolina, uh, 30-3 to win, and then UNLV, and then Bowling Green, not a great non-conference schedule. Then it was Rutgers, then it was Nebraska, then it was Minnesota, then it was Indiana, then it was Michigan State. They haven't played anybody yet, Stephen. Then it was Purdue. Now, they did, on November 11th, get Penn State and got them at Penn State. Nine-point win. Good win. And, then, and going back to that game, yeah. that was the first game Harbaugh was out, all the uncertainty yeah. with the coaching staff, and that's a tough win. Then Maryland, then the Ohio State game, then Iowa, then the Rose Bowl. So, you know, I look at who Michigan's played, I want to say, it's Penn State, it's Ohio State, and it's Alabama. And I... I was surprised they got Alabama. I I, I got to be honest. I picked against them. I thought Alabama would beat them. I thought you know Alabama was just going to be better, and and they were not. And so, 
I think it's really interesting to kind of watch that. Washington, meanwhile, it's the two Oregon games. You, you definitely have to look at that. It is um, an Arizona team they beat by a touchdown. It, you know, And you can look at the late part of Washington's schedule. It was bloody November. It was USC. It was Utah. It was Oregon State. It was Washington State. Um, certainly uh, beating Texas in the Sugar Bowl meant a lot. I think it's going to be a great football game. Uh, the next time I'll hear, you'll hear from me, will be on Monday's show from Houston. I'll be in the stadium at 3 o'clock, be talking to you in front of kickoff, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. So we'll be there. We'll be on the scene. If you want to read me over the weekend, you can read me at johnconzano.com. I appreciate everybody who listens to this show. Grab a podcast of this show and be tuned in Monday, 3 to 6 p.m., as uh, we will be live from Houston. We're taking, taking the show on the road.